Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday evening, and I am here to bring you another episode of If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking. I am Archie Mitchell, your host. It is good to be back once again. But I'm actually I'm not alone, though. I'm good. It's good to be back, but I'm not alone for the first time ever. I've got a co-host, ladies and gentlemen. And as you know, I usually do this um, as Nate and Aaron like to say, Joey style style, by going completely solo, and they'll usually jump in when they can. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my co-host for this evening, Mark Brew. Mark, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me, Arch. Oh, no problem. Guys, if you don't know Mark, he is my brother from another mother. He is a customizer, a great customizer, a great friend, and he is involved in all the Facebook groups such as the We Can't Wrestle podcast, the Asylum uh, World Championship Customs. So it's great to have you on the show here tonight, Mark. And um, Mark, tell the, the people listening at home what you're going to be doing this evening on If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. Um, yes, I'll be uh, giving the breakdown on Raw and SmackDown and uh, basically giving some contrast on NXT and AEW and I hope you do the same for Raw right now. I, I will be. Uh, I've heard from a lot of the fans that watch and our listeners that they would like to hear what I think about Raw and SmackDown. And I've got to be honest with you guys. If I sit through Raw and SmackDown and then tell you what I think just me, it's going to be like Jim Cornette on crack. Uh, so <laughs> I figured let Mark come in. Let me let him give his point of view. And then I can give a counterpoint. And likewise, like he said, when I'm doing AEW and Dynamite he uh, and, and NXT, he could give his point of view as well because sometimes I sound like a gushing fanboy who just loves everything NXT and AEW where Mark might let me know where something might have been a piece of crap, you know. So, but before we get into any of that, before we get into any of that, uh, I got a lot of messages from everybody who... Uh, heard me say last week that the reason that the frosty beverage has not been being used uh, the last few weeks is because of a health reason. People checked on me, such as Mark, such as Nathan Roberts, and a lot of other great fans and friends that I have on Facebook. I want to thank you guys, number one. Heard back from my doctor just a couple days ago. Everything came back normal. Nothing wrong. I need a, a diet, obviously. We all do after COVID and everything like that. But... um Doctor told me, hey, listen, if you're having one or even a couple every now and then, it's no big deal. So, ladies and gentlemen, crack them open with me. The frosty beverage is back here on If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. So, Mark, we have some quick hits here tonight. And our first one kind of pissed me off a little. I'm wondering if you're going to feel the same way or maybe have a different contrast in this. Um... Stephanie McMahon said in a recent interview that AEW is to blame for all of WWE's recent roster cuts, mainly because AEW is making WWE's locker room look like a toxic environment, and AEW is so welcoming for all these guys. I find that to be a piece of shit when you're looking for an excuse. The WWE locker room has been toxic long before AEW came around. And for Stephanie to say that it's it's Tony Khan and AEW's fault, I, I just I don't find that right. They're they're cutting people because Nick Khan is trying to make you know budget cuts and 
and possibly load them up for a sale, in my opinion. But what do you think? Well, I mean, I've obviously been a WWE fan uh, back in the since the nineties, the WWF days, and not really been a big fan of Stephanie. But to me, it just sounds like they're finger pointing, trying to blame somebody else for their shortcomings. Right. Which, in all reality, they just need to step up to the plate and say, "Yes, we messed up." Now, I mean, but they don't have to cut all this good talent that they're right. Raising. Like, like they, like they made a build on Brock and Reed, and then just you know let him win the NXT title, uh, North American title, and then completely just dropped him. A month later, he's gone. <laughs> you know, right? It makes... It's like if you if they utilize their talent better, right? People would want to stay. They they wouldn't be looking for that extra out. <laughs> and and also, when you look at the big picture, WWE began signing a lot of indie talent, hoping to keep them away from Ring of Honor, Impact, and MLW. So they signed all these guys without any promises of you're going to be a star. You know, we'll just keep you around or whatever. Some of these guys did become stars. Adam Cole, Bronson Reed, Braun Strowman, uh, Bray Wyatt, you know. And now it's like, you know what, kid? Yeah, we ain't got no more room for you. Bye. You know, yeah, I mean, and they could be staring at the next big thing and they release it, and then AEW capitalizes on it, and they're going to be sitting there with their thumb in their mouth, stuck in their thumb, thinking, man, we dropped the ball. Right, exactly. Kind of the way WCW did with guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know. Correct. So, uh, in my opinion, Stephanie is wrong for blaming anybody than, to, than themselves. Uh, is, is AEW welcoming these wrestlers with open arms? Yes, but it's not AEW's fault that these guys want to go and have a fun place to go and work because, let's face it, when you got a job where it's crap to go to work, you don't want to be there as long as you have to be. You only want to be there as long as you're getting paid. So, Well, I mean, too, that comes from the fact that, that WWE controls the gimmicks and mm-hmm. they, they control the promos and they give you the script and they're like, here, do this. Go out there, be yourself, make our product as good as you can. Exactly. Exactly. And and that should be what's on the forefront other than creating content and stuff like that as far as in their image because it, let's, let's be real. What worked in the 90s is not going to work now. Oh, no. No, exactly. And asking guys to sign over their real names uh, is not going to work either because nobody's going to want to leave the WWE eventually, whether they get injured, whether they want to retire, whatever, and come to find out, oh, guess what? I'm no longer uh, uh, Shane Douglas. I, I got to be, you know, uh, whatever, you know, Martin Douglas because Vince owns my name, you know? So. I, I mean, I, in a way, the, this is my whole philosophy on that whole situation. Really, they should sweep their own doorsteps before they go to point the finger at I agree. somebody else. I I agree 100%. Well put. Very well put. Uh, Next up, The Undertaker was asked about wrestling at WrestleMania 38, and he gave the standard answer of never say never, brother. And um, look, I love The Undertaker. Mark, you know how big of an Undertaker Mark I am. Uh, And I would love to see him come back. 
But if we're going to get the Undertaker like we got in that Goldberg match at Saudi Arabia, and like we got, you know, where we've gotten the last couple of years, that's not the Undertaker. That's Mark Calloway. You know, he's he's not been the Undertaker right. for the last few years. So I'd rather just say never and let him make appearances, but not have to wrestle. You know. Uh, well, my 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 uh, opinion on this is. If they could do it in the realm of things and make it make sense, it would be good for business. But they would have to put him in there with a talent that, you know, could protect him and make him still look like that. Right. I mean, it doesn't make no sense to put him up against somebody who's green and who's going to, you know, have him look like trash. I mean, I understand Goldberg was a ring bet and he still dropped him on his freaking head. But, I mean... If you have a talent of that stature that can work with these veterans and keep them safe and still, I know kayfabe, they say is dead and all that, but I mean, you know, keep keep everything to make sense in the realm of things. Well, I mean, you look at a guy like AJ Styles. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Boneyard match um, because of obviously it was a cinematic match, but the entire storyline leading up to that, The Undertaker and him were gold together. And, you know, AJ is a ring veteran, so you put him in in there with somebody like AJ, whether it be a cinematic match or a real match, I think AJ could take care of him, you know, can actually make sure he doesn't get hurt and put on a great, uh, an actually great match. Um, in, in right. other- and, and also AJ Styles, is, uh, he, cuts, he cuts a damn good promo. Right. I mean, love him or hate him, there's no denying that oh, yeah. he has my skills and, and he has in-ring talent. Do I like this whole thing with him and almost? Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, almost isn't bad, but I just don't think he needs to be with AJ. You know. In the sense of things, he kind of reminds me of a colleague. He has mm-hmm. the size. He has to look. It, but it, big guys are only limited in the amount of moves that they can do. Right. And, and, you know, look good doing. Right. So, I mean, but, I mean, he, he stands leaps and bounds above the rest of the roster. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> and our, our final quick hit of the evening. Charlotte Flair is not being punished for her recent backstage altercation with Becky Lynch. For those that don't know, uh, during the whole title trading situation on SmackDown a few weeks ago, uh, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch got into War of the Words backstage. Charlotte then threw the belt at Becky, uh, threw the belt away in the middle of the ring. Becky then threw her belt at Charlotte. When they came backstage, they almost got into a fight. Other women got involved and actually were pointing the finger at Charlotte. The reason being that there is no punishment coming down on her is they're afraid that she will either ask for her release or they will end up firing her, and then they're handering a huge star again to AEW. Mark, I'll be honest, I don't. At this, at this yeah, point, they can't afford to. Right, I, I don't. I don't mind them not punishing her because let's face it, that title switch, that whole hey, you guys are going to trade titles tonight. That's bullshit anyway, and I think Charlotte may have been pissed about it anyway. She asked if she could drop the title to Bianca Belair before all that happened, and WWE was like, no, we need you. So, hey, this is what you wanted. Well, look what you're getting now, you know? It cost the 
be the queen, I reckon. Right, right. Look, if you're not gonna gonna punish Becky as well, because Becky threw the belt at her too, and them getting into it. If you're not gonna punish, you know, multiple members of the roster, you can't just punish one. You know what I mean? Because again, she'll bitch up and she'll say, "Hey, I'm I'm out of here," and her boyfriend slash fiance is in AEW and her daddy's in the NWA. I, I wouldn't mind seeing her in either one of those. <laughs> Always holding the title in WWE, right? I mean, it would be a breath of fresh air to see her hold, you know, a, a, another title, or you know, somebody constantly getting the better of her, just to, you know, kind of humble her. Oh, and even a, a switch of her fighting, you know, who she's going to fight. It seems like she's always feuding with Becky or or Shasha in some form. So. Here, if she were to go to another company, or at least if they would allow her to not have the belt constantly, she could be feuding with a Shotzi. She could be feuding with a Bianca without the title being involved. They just have her constantly there with Becky. Like, for instance, Survivor Series this year, it's Becky versus Charlotte. And I understand they're two of the best on the roster. They're two of the best on the roster, but come on now. We're we're going on five years of Becky versus Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, it, at, at some point they have to realize you're kicking a dead dog for very realistic. Yeah, you know, I, they did that with Cena and, and, and Orton. Every time that the, it got tough, it was like, we're gonna just gonna, we're gonna feud Cena and Orton again, and that was a great feud when it first started. But you know, you can't keep using the same two wrestlers just because it worked once upon a time. Right, it's like the people don't want to see Drew versus Brock anymore. I mean, because they. They ran that into the ground. Right, right. So, well, that's going to do it for us with Quick Hits. And I will now turn the reins over to Mr. Mark Brew to give us his in-depth look at Monday Night Raw. Mark, go right ahead. Let us know how, what went down on Monday Night Raw, and I will chime in when I can and let you know what I liked and what I disliked. Okay, we opened up Monday Night Raw with a backstage segment with Biggie and Kevin Owens. Owens was pleading that the week before wasn't what it seemed. Biggie tells him he has a match tonight. He doesn't care. That's followed by Seth Rollins music playing and him making his way to the ring to cut a promo. He claims that the next yeah, he's the next WWE champion and will lead Raw into a glorious victory at Survivor Series. Then he alleges that Kevin Owens is a snake and a liar and that he will stab you in the back every chance he gets. Owens interrupts Rollins and they get into a brawl where Rollins skates away and Owens is left by himself in the ring with the fans cheering. Which, I mean, everybody wants to see Owens get over on Rollins because, let's be real, they're kind of overdoing the Rollins stuff. Well, um, yes, Seth Rollins is by far one of the most pushed talents again. And that's not his fault. He's one of the best on the roster again. But his wardrobe is beginning to become really, really ridiculous. Um, I like the Big E versus Kevin Owens storyline, though, and I, I, I think that yeah. them trying to make Kevin Owens act like, look, I'm not a bad guy anymore, and I don't want to be a bad guy, but you're pushing me towards it by all means. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch that, Kevin Owens, you know? Right, and, and that's going to make people want to see, you know, the old school fight, Owens fight. Right. And that can't be a bad thing because uh, it's over. It's over for the man. It's it's over, 
The fans love Kevin Owens no matter what he's doing, feel or face or heel. And the guy's got a contract coming up in a couple of months. So I think maybe letting him write his own ticket as far as his character goes right now would not be a bad move because you want him happy to come to contract time. I agree. You know. But uh, next up, we have a backstage segment with RK Bro and Orton trying to talk to the Riddle. Which after one or two uh, of those wacky tobaccos, that might be hard to do. <laughs> he tries to talk to him about going around picking fights with giants. Orton tells him that they don't care about the street profits who are right behind him. And he tells the street profits that they haven't been dead with almost, that they're on their own. RKO's, RK Bros music plays in the head to the ring for an eight man tag that hits RK Bro and the street profits versus the dirt dog. And Archie Mitchell's favorite action figure, AJ Styles. Yes, yes. <laughs> and his philosophy. Now, Rudy Montez Ford kicks things off, almost chokeslams Riddle, and goes to tag in Styles. Ziggler tags his hand first, and then while the rest of the team bickers back and forth, Ziggler pins Riddle for the three count. Right. Ziggler now. celebrates, Orton hits him with the RKO out of nowhere, and it's a decent opener for Raw. I have <laughs> a three out of five simply because. Street Profits, Orton, and Riddle all display tenacity throughout the match, and that is what you want to see out of those. And I will agree with you. I like the dynamic of the, the Orton and Riddle tag team, even though we kind of know where it's going to end up, you know, with an RKO and those two feuding down the line. But I like Matt Riddle. I have no issue with him, and I think he's a great up-and-coming star. Um, Street Profits I'm good with as well. Um, honestly, I think the Street Profits are getting – the uh, push that crime time should have got way back when, uh, <laughs> when you look at them. I do, however, have a problem with Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler because they shouldn't be known as the Dirty Dogs. They, be, they should be known as the It Should Have Been Me crew because it's all they're always doing is bitching that they're not getting an opportunity, even though we've seen them go after both sets of tag team titles in the last five months about 20 times. You know, I agree. I agree, and, and that's the Dolph is another one that's been put to the most back. Yeah, you know, it's it's ridiculous. I like AJ and almost like I said, I think he needs a, a heavy someone there as his bodyguard. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'd like it to be switched. The guy that's with um, um, Apollo Cruz, his commander. I wouldn't have minded him going yeah. with AJ Styles and putting Omos. Yeah. And putting Omos with Apollo Crews because it almost makes more sense. You know what I mean? But I agree. But Omos is doing his job. He's a giant. You know what I mean? He's in the in the um history of Diesel with Shawn Michaels and the giant with Hulk Hogan and things like that. You you have that big giant to watch your back and it's working for the most part on my my you know in my opinion. I agree. I mean, I'm not saying I absolutely hate it. I'm just saying there should be more dynamic. I'd like to hear him talk more. I'd like to hear almost talk a little more. But I guess they're trying to build that Andre the Giant mystique around him. Try you know speak softly and carry a big stick. I don't know. All right, well, uh, next we have backstage Ray Mysterio and Dominic. Uh, they're talking about Owen. Oh, as they're talking, Owen comes into the frame, 
believe him about what last week appeared to be. Dominic, Dominic and Ray made their way to the ring, coming back from commercial where Tease was becoming a beer behind. Then Adam Pierce is in the ring with Dominic and Ray and announces that in order for Dominic to stay on the Survivor Series team, he must defeat Bobby Lashley or be replaced by the Almighty. In a dominant display, Bobby Lashley sends in the hurt lock and Dominic submits. This match gets a three out of five for me, while Lashley dominated Dom's attempt at an offense. Both were entertaining and showcased both of their in ring talent. Now, most people who listen I'm to the show. Most people who listen to this show, Mark, know that I am not a Dominic Mysterio fan. It's not Dominic's fault, though. It was was that whole Seth Rollins feud with Ray and Dominic and all that. But how do you announce the kid as a member of the Survivor Series team and then pull it away from him and tell him, you got to beat Bobby Lashley in order to be on this team? You know what I mean? It's really? I mean, it was an impossible task. Yeah. You know, unless unless they were going the one, two, three kid route and going to let him beat Bobby Lashley. Yeah, which I don't foresee. I no. Mean, <laughs> boy, down, uh, Dominic and Ray I, I have this weird feeling that they're looking for Dominic to turn on Ray. Right. And lead to a father, which would be horrible because, you know, I mean, you know what they're going to do if they if Dominic turns on Ray, right? <laughs> but please say they're not going <laughs> to announce that Eddie was really Right, and you know they're going to do Come on now, Mark. You know the way the WWE is. Dominic's going to get on the mic and go, you know what? Eddie was my father. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sad, but it's true. That, that, as cheap as WWE goes, yeah. Their angles, that is probably what's. And then, happen. and then, a lie of Mysterio is going to run and go. Parka was my dad, and people are going to be like, "Who's Parka? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, we're taking backstage where we see Chad Gable and Otis training, and Rollins enters the frame. They stroke each other's egos and get in cahoots. Big E makes his way to the ring to face Chad Gable with his ogre of a henchman, Otis, who now looks like the antagonist in the old Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> this match displayed strength and athletic <clears throat> on the part of both superstars and was a nail-biter of a match. Two big endings later, and Big E emerges victorious. Big E and Otis have a stare down in the ring afterwards, and this match was a solid four out of five show. I agree with you on that. Chad Gable I don't was know great. If you saw that match. I did. Chad Gable was actually yeah. really good, but he's always really good. I mean, the, the guy's got skill. And Big E is coming into his own as world champion, where I do not agree with you, though. To me, Otis looks like baby Vader. He looks like they're trying to push him as the next Vader. You know. I, I just, when you see his face, oh, yeah. Face like that, oh, yeah. Working man Otis for so long, mm-hmm. my first recollection was. That looks like the guy from Pee Wee Herman. Francis. <laughs> yes, Francis. Just really bigger. Right. <laughs> and now that he's with Gable, he's undergone like this transformation. I mean, good for him for getting in shape. But, I mean, everybody loved the working man. They did. They did. And it was like WWE took everything from him in one minute. You know, oh, you get Mandy Rose and the Money in the Bank briefcase. Wait, we thought about it. You get nothing. 
<laughs> oh, our bad. Our bad. That didn't increase the ratings. <laughs> we thought it would. Ah. On that, we're brought to Kevin Owens backstage. He's pleading with our truth to believe him about last week's situation. Our truth spouts off more comedic gold as usual. Of course. As we return, Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville are in the women's locker room, announcing the selection for the Raw women's team. Serena Vega, Carmella, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, and Bianca Belair. Then they announce the Fatal Five Way match between everybody, where the winner will be get a championship match against Big Time Beck. Dewdrop inquires on why she wasn't chosen, along with Dana Brooke and Nikki Ash. The next scene is Dominic and Rey Mysterio backstage with the doctor, and Dominic has now miraculously suffered the next plane. Rey complains about Adam Pierce, and we're transitioned into a 24 7 title match between Reginald and Drake Madden. Now, before we get into Reginald that, before we get into that match, the, the Raw Women's tag Team looks good to me. I like it. I think it's, it's, Stacked pretty well. Um, again, with this because the SmackDown team just kind of looks all thrown together. Um, right. The only part I, I don't understand is why Nikki uh, Ash wouldn't be on the team with Ryan with Rhea Ripley being there. Why wouldn't the Raw Tag Team Champions be on the on the women's team? But I'm sure they'll do something oh, to fix agree. it. Uh, what I didn't like right. about that segment was Dewdrop wanting to voice her opinion about and. Why does this and why do, dude, you've been there like four months and you've lost like eighty percent of your matches. You know. Exactly. And you were even Marie Otis. Right. Exactly. <laughs> what are you bitching about? You know what I mean? Like so, be happy with the push you're getting. You know, so But I mean I understand it's for storyline purposes. Yeah, but I mean if they're going to a to a heel do drop, then they need to rip that name away from her and make her the Viper again, or Piper Niven, or whatever they're going to call her. She does. You can't have a yeah, heel named Dewdrop. Right. You know that just doesn't work for me. <laughs> so <laughs> now to the twenty four seven match. Go ahead. All right, Reginald. He does his acrobatic. Our our truth begins his way to the ring, only to be attacked by Benjamin and Alexander of the Hurt Business. Where they come from and for why nobody knows. Right. Uh, <laughs> Drake Maverick rolls up Reggie for the one, two, three, and we have a new champion. But it's short lived as Akira Tazawa rolls up Maverick to capture the title. Corey Graves catches Tazawa slipping and pins him for the belt, which then in turn Byron Saxon pins Graves to Horrible. the champion. Horrible. <laughs> Drake Maverick pins Saxon to regain the belt. And as Maverick tries to escape, Reginald hits him with a flying corkscrew and pins Maverick to win the 24 championship back and hightails it backstage. This match gets a 3.5 out of 5 because of the comedic value. It was definitely entertaining. It was perfect. Yes, yes. It was perfect for comedy reasons. I, I felt bad for Corey Graves because that was the first title he's ever won in the WWE. And, like, he seemed so happy about it. And then, of all people, Byron Saxton is the one that beats him for it. But yeah, that's just the nail in the coffin. But like Reginald being the twenty four seven champion, 
defeats the purpose because that guy can literally fly. You know? <laughs> you, how do you catch him? Why have you not given this man rank gear? Right. Like, every week he's coming out in a suit. And loafers. And pulling off these, these amazing acrobatic studs. Mark? And he's not even in professional gear. All right. If I go to step out of my car in a pair of loafers and the cement is too slippery, I might break my neck. This dude is doing a three-flip transition corkscrew in loafers and landing perfectly. Yeah. You know, and that that's he's got skill. I know that much. It, <laughs> I believe it was Grace and Sight that made the joke during this match that they recognize one of those moves because their daughter does it in gym <laughs> <laughs> But, hey, whatever he's doing, it gets over. The crowd actually pops That's when right. he's doing he's that mo- those moves. Comment- and down to the commentary, even in this match, the whole, the whole thing had the comedic value. And to me, if you can make me laugh right. and, and not you know, lose focus on the match at the same time, that you're doing great. Um, I agree. I agree. Well, the 24-7 is preluded by Big Time Fix making an entrance to join the commentary team for the Fatal Five-Way match. That outfit, I don't... Mark, I have to ask you a question. Am I wrong because I thought that she looked really good in that outfit? No, I mean... The hair, the, the disco ball... With, there's definitely nothing wrong with the word, her, uh, her look. It's more along the lines of She's a little rusty on the end ring. Right, but but if any other woman would have tried to pull that that look off, she would have looked god awful. Becky Lynch made it work right. for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Maybe it's just a natural beauty. Uh, maybe. Why Seth had to be dressed like Paddington Bear, and she had to be dressed the way she was though. <laughs> I mean, blue raincoat and uh, red red slick red boots of no sense. But whatever. After after Becky joins the commentary team, Bianca Belair seems backstage prepared for the match where she's interrupted by Dewdrop. Dewdrop. Who complains about Bianca losing and still getting opportunities. Right. The argument's cut short because Belair's music hits and she makes her way to the ring. I like the way Bianca cut her off there. She just walked away. I like, I like it. I like that they're giving Liv a push. Uh, I think that she deserves it. Yeah, she deserves it. You took away all her friends. You left her all by herself. You put her in that god-awful Lana and Bobby Lashley storyline for no reason. And she's great in the ring. So, do I... 
I mean, I was really, really put over with her after that elimination chamber. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, she, she had her whole butt sticking out. Right. That was the elimination right. chamber. Right. Oh, wow. But that's just like, her instantly over with me. Hey, to each their own. It, it worked. If that if that's what made her get over with you, that's fine. But do I think they're going to let her beat Becky immediately? No. But I'd like a nice slow burn of maybe three title matches between the two of them, and her finally winning on the last one. You know what I mean? Right. Like I don't think it should be an instantaneous no. thing either. No. I think they should build build it, and if they build it properly. It will be one of the best things that we have seen in a long time. Definitely. That maybe let her win the belt at like the Royal Rumble. You know what I mean? Right. And then if you want to have Becky again enter the Women's Royal Rumble and win it, so she's got a guarantee, just so she's got a guaranteed title shot. Because you know they will. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's pretty predictable that way. But, uh, then we're taking backstage again, where Rollins finds Big E to tell him he doesn't want any trouble, but try to convince him even further that Kevin Owens betrayed him. Big E responds with he doesn't trust either either of them. Big E makes his way to the ring and joins the announce table. Austin Theory comes out taking selfies of the commentators and tries to take one with Big E. And his phone is snatched and Big E throws it away. Some fan got a nice phone. Go ahead. I said some fan got a nice nice prize to take home. <laughs> well, I think he threw it like down in front of the commentary mm. table. So as Terry was walking away, he could snatch it up. Right, right. But uh, as Terry walks away, Rollins be the kid. He makes his way to the ring, cut the promo, confessing him and Kevin Owens' plan. The events from the previous week, at which point Owen storms down to the ring and he isn't there to talk. Immediately, no, he, he whips he whips Wallen's ass. Yeah, <laughs> and our main event of the evening is underway. Rollins and Owen fight outside near the commentary table. Big E avoids them, and as the referee reaches the nine count, Rollins runs past Big E to enter the ring, and Owens attempts to sprint from the other side and instead runs into Big E, which causes him to lose to Rollins via count. As Rollins hightails it out of there laughing at Owens, it sends him overboard, and Owens begins a malicious assault on Big E that includes a pop-up powerbomb on the apron. The referees and officials attempt to tear Owens, who breaks free and attacks him once more before returning to the back, and we are taken off the air by the image of Big E riding in pain. Now, I give this match a 3.5 out of 5 because, I mean, it had some back and forth and storyline progression. Right. The only thing I would have changed was that Owens would have won. Overall, Raw gets right. 4 out of 5 for me this week, and to me, is in contention with earning the A-Show title. Now, but, Big E deserved that ass-whipping. Yeah, he did. You know, but, all all show uh, long. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Why are you in my way then? You know? <laughs> right. Right. But at the same time, I like the more, more serious thingy in the black and gold attire with the New Day wrote in, like, the Godfather. Right. To me, that's like, I don't know. It just, that, that that's a really cool attire. I would love to see a figure made of that. Oh, I'm sure you'll get it. <laughs> But, I mean, that was the main event, but I really, really wanted to ask you about this, Archie. Okay. Did you see when we come, when they came back from a commercial 
that they had this week in WWE history in the Montreal screw job screw with Showcase. Yes. I can't help but wonder if that wasn't a hint that something similar may happen at this particular series. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. The WWE loves to go back to the Montreal screw job. I mean, we've had like five other screw jobs since then, three of which took place at a Survivor Series. Um, it really, I mean, we know Vince. He rests on his laurels. When he thinks something worked and a fans will pop for it, you know, for all we know, he's going to screw over Biggie and make Roman win at Survivor Series. You know what I mean? To put, which. Obviously, if they're putting one champion over the other, it's going to be Roman Reigns because of how much they have invested in him. And it's not title for title, so they don't have to worry about Biggie losing anything other than the match. So, um, but yeah, I, I could see right. a screw job at Survivor Series very easily. Or I could see it between Charlotte and Becky. Right. Right. She gets screwed over. With Vince McMahon, you know, that whole never say never should be tattooed on Vince's forehead. Never say never when it comes to what Vince McMahon will do to what he thinks is going to give his his company more business. Well, I mean, at the same time, this is the way I see it. He has so many other good female talent. Right. He has Becky, who he's pushing to the moon. Right. Bianca, she's getting her push. Sasha Banks has always been pushed. I mean, really, and I hate to say this, but who cares if Charlotte Flair's going? Well, yeah, and you look at it like, well, Flair left too because when Flair was there from like 91 to 93, he went back to WCW and whatnot. So if Charlotte really left, it wouldn't hurt them that much. But... If they did it at the expense of screwing her over, fans may look at Vince and go, "Wow, you just this is just a constant." You know what I mean? You're you're forever shitting on talent that gives you their heart. You know what I mean? So, right. You know it would it would make Vince look really bad. And if I think if Charlotte left under those circumstances, a lot more fans would probably start watching other companies more so than WWE. It would it would hurt ratings in a big way. So well. Uh, you said it would make pants look really bad, but this is about, you know, uh, we're talking about the same guy that wore the do-rag. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> you know, and put himself as the champion. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's here's the thing. People say Vince Russo, you know, put himself over in WCW. Vince McMahon put himself over just as much, if not more, in WWF and WWE, so. Yeah, it was Stone Cold and... and all that. Yeah, you know, he's been he's the he's the he's the one owner in a wrestling company that can say he's been the WWF champion, the ECW champion and the hardcore champion. Yeah. You know, and, what and you know. <laughs> Also, my way of things uh, looking at looking at it too is we really didn't need the corporation or the corporate ministry, but I'm not saying those weren't good factions. I'm just right. saying what was the point? At the end of the day, it was strictly I mean, to put him up, put himself group. over. Right, and you didn't need that group just to go after one person and don't go over stuff. The ministry made no sense because it ended with Vince anyway. It was like, if that was the end yeah. game anyway, why were we doing this? 
It was me, Austin. Right. <laughs> it's still one of my favorite things, though. I love saying it. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. Right. So. And, 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 but you literally almost sacrificed your daughter. Right. Right. To be led by the Undertaker. Right. Great parenting skills there, Bob. <laughs> we know who's not babysitting the grandkids when uh, Stephanie and Triple H Definitely. need to get away. So, moving on to our next show review is NXT 2.0. I was pretty hard on them last week, Mark, because um, it was very, very promo heavy. The matches were very quick, so I'm hoping they rebound this week, but I guess we got to wait and see. Um, We kick off this week's show with a six-woman tag match, and I'm all for it because it's about time NXT started off with wrestling. AEW has been doing it. Rogers did it again recently. SmackDown's been doing it. There's no reason for NXT to start with anything but a match. You know, so I, I agree. I mean, you always want you always want action to captivate that audience, right? Right. So our six man, a uh, six woman tag is the team of Toxic Attraction, Mandy Rose, the new NXT Women's Champion, Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane, the new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. And they are taking on Io Shirai and a team I like to nickname Team Botch. Uh, Casey Carter and, uh, no, I'm sorry, Carter and Catarazano. Excuse me. Uh, this was a 15-minute car crash, but I actually mean that in a good way, Mark. Io Carter and JC went all out from the top with some high-flying moves here, including uh, a, a perfect moonsault from Io Shirai delivered into the middle of the ring. Uh, Mandy punished Catarazano and kept her uh, team in control during the later parts. Gigi hit her finisher on Carter, and Toxic Attraction picked up a very nice win to start off NXT here. And like I said, it was a car crash, but for the right reasons. You want you want to see six people actually having a match. You just don't want to see, oops, she slipped off the ropes. Oops, she killed herself. Oops, she broke her neck, you know. That wasn't this. This was actually a decent match. Right. And uh, I, I just had this to say about toxic attraction. In my opinion, Mandy Rose and the other dark-haired girl mm-hmm. is the attraction part, and the orange-haired girl is the toxic part. I like me. Like I, she might crawled out of a, a you know, a full of slime or something. I don't care. I like me some, some Gigi Dolan. I don't care. I, I, I like I like the two Mandy Rose and the dark haired girl. JC Jane, girl, right. She just I mean, she looks like all right, you know, in high school there there was the ugly chick that hung out with the popular girl. Yes. She, you know, kinda gained popularity. That to me that's what she is. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I like Gigi Dolan. She's good in the <laughs> ring. She's exactly, exactly. Uh up next we had uh Pete Dunne, and he got interrupted immediately without ever saying a word backstage by Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. But Dunne isn't having any of the silliness. He just pretty much told Carmelo, you want a match, you got it, and walked away. Back in the arena, Toxic Attraction yeah, is... He did threaten to break his fingers. He did, but that's Pete Dunne. That's normal for him. That's It's like saying hello. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to play any of the games that Carmelo and Trick were trying to play with him. Um... 
Back in the arena, Toxic Attraction still hasn't made their way out of the arena, and they get bypassed by Kaylee Ray, makes her way to the ring uh, for a quick uh, match. But then we shift because we go to a commercial, and we have MSK in there. Apparently, their new guru has moved locations, and the boys agree to fly in order to find him, and it looks like this is going to continue. Now, Mark, I'm, I'm slightly thinking they're going to find John Morrison. Because that, that would be hilarious. Yeah, but he's the he's but doing the whole, Jesse, you know. Go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. But is it just me or is MSK to wrestling what Cheech and Chong were the movie? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Because <laughs> if you notice when they said that their other the other place it was four hundred and twenty. Yes. Away. Yes. Well, these guys were a part of a team in, in Impact called the Rascals, and I, I, I'm aware. Yeah, and they would go to their clubhouse and they'd smoke out, and then they'd have a match afterwards. So it makes yeah. sense that they're keeping that gimmick alive. But I, the, they keep talking about finding that higher existence and that you know third eye and thing, and that leads me to believe that it's either going to be John Morrison or they've got a crazy gimmick about to be unloaded on NXT. You know, it might be a breath of fresh air. It I might mean, be. Some of kind of it may be. Uh, Kaylee Ray then goes to take on Soraya. Um, Soraya got in some offense, which included an arm drag, a pin attempt, and a big boot. But Ray was vicious in this matchup. She beat Soraya from pillar to post, nailing a wicked face buster into the announce table. Ray hit her finisher and picked up the win in five minutes. And I got to say, in my opinion... Kaylee Ray is is a vicious monster, and go ahead. What's your question? Is, is she related to Charles Lee? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, she is not. Although she does seem that psychotic, so you never, you never can tell. Like she has malicious intent. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. When she was in NXT UK, she was like the baddest thing going. And uh, they had to bring in a, a literal Japanese legend in order to beat her. Um, so uh, it's the, the women actually shine bright in the opening matches of NXT. And if you're going to book someone, if you're going to book someone like Kaylee Ray to be the next person to challenge for the world title for the women's division, that's how you book her. Let her squash uh, someone who's been undefeated for the last couple of months. Right. So now. We then go to Joe Gacy, and he says he doesn't know where Harland is, uh, but he's looking for him, and he dedicates his match to him tonight. We see highlights from Braun Breaker and uh, Tommaso Ciampa on tour with WWE in England. Breaker says he's coming back to the States and is ready to be NXT, uh, NXT champion. Now, what are your thoughts on Joe Gacy? My thoughts on Joe Gacy. All right, we're, we're talking about this match, right? Yeah. Okay. He is definitely a strange individual and I kind of get some whole not in the same sense, but Wyatt family vibes. Right. And it's going to be interesting to see what direction they take that gimmick. It, it seems like he's a, a either a cult leader or I don't know, like it's I'm getting weird vibes from him that he's going to build a family Starting with Harland, who, as we both have seen, uh, is a pretty 
mean looking son of a bitch. Um, and his work, you know, he's constantly talking about snowflakes and people being, uh, everybody being included. And I understand that's a lot of what we hear nowadays, you know, from people, the verbiage that's used nowadays, but I can't tell if he's with them or against them. You know what I mean? Is he, is he himself a Karen, a snowflake who's going to complain or is he somebody who's against them and is going to try to take everybody out no matter who they are? Right, right. So, um, I I like the way they've been building Braun Breaker. I wish he was named was Rex Steiner though, and not Braun Breaker. But um, I I really love what they've done with this young kid. Yes, and when he when he uh, was making that statement that he was putting in the work and ready to be NAC champion, you could definitely hear shades of his his father. You you hear you hear Rick, and then you hear Scotty too. You you get that that sense that yeah, he was taught by both of them, the right? Right. Well, I'm hoping I I I'm waiting one day because we've heard it. We heard the announcers on his debut say something about, and there's a there's a, a rumor going around that Braun is pretty good at math. And I went, yeah, they're leaning towards it. If if he could if he cuts a Steiner math promo, let me tell you, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, we go back into the arena for Joe Gacy to taking on Boa, who doesn't have his normal manager with him lately. She's been missing since last week. Uh, this was another quick match uh, at about four minutes long. Gacy has the upper hand early on and has a devastating clothesline. Uh, Boa made a comeback, and then the lights began to flicker, and Boa went crazy, locking in a Tonga death grip that would have made Haku probably wince. Um, but he wouldn't let go. Gacy got in the ropes. The referee counted to five, and match ends in a DQ. This was a little weird, but also kind of intriguing as well. So they uh, they kind of they kind um, they kind of left us wanting more there, in my opinion. Yeah, and he he received a saying, "Harvest, we done it, Harlan." Right. And to me, it makes me wonder, you know, if if this Harlan guy kind of has Papa Chango vibes going on, and he, and, you know, he got Bo or whatever. Right. Right. You know, you. you so, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where that goes. It it will it will be interesting, definitely. I do I do agree. Uh, we then hear from Kushida and the jacket and his jacket wearing Japanese friend. <laughs> Apparently, their their team name is either Japanese Japanese or Jacket Time. Um, I don't think I like either one. Yeah, I mean, well, we we all know Kushida does the whole Marty McFly outfit and you know Back to the Future vibe. So is Jacket that, Time is, is a play on Marty Back in Time. I I it's it's supposed to be Back to the Future. <laughs> I get the whole I'm a Dragon Ball Z character vibe from Kushida. Do you? <laughs> Is it the hair? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. And then did you see his partner give me uh, his, his outfit? Yep. Yep. He, he looked like the Japanese version of Riddle. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. I kind of want him to come to the main roster and maybe team with Riddle. That might be funny. But uh, <laughs> whatever the case is, they say that they're going to they're gonna take on the Diamond Mines um, um, Creed Brothers later on. And then Malcolm Bivens interrupts from his gym and says that the Diamond Mine will take out Kushida and Jiro tonight. Um, can't believe I'm going to say this, but I, I'm, I'm for the Diamond Mine in this match because... The jacket-wearing Japanese guy kind of gets on my nerves a little. <laughs> you know, your gimmick is you wear a jacket to the ring. Okay. You know. I mean, they, they kind of remind me of a new age kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And that, that shouldn't be being done to, to Kushida because the guy's got serious legacies dating back to Japan. You know, <laughs> so... It's, well, thank you, WWE Booking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, we then see a newcomer, Sequoia, backstage. Uh, he's the baby brother of Jay and Jimmy Uso, but they're not letting us know that on camera, obviously. And he's about to speak for the first time when Grayson Waller and LA Knight interrupt. Both run their mouths, but Sequoia says, let's end this bickering in a triple threat match later on tonight. Okay. I'll be honest, I want to see him kick both their asses. I have no problem with this. Indeed. And um, is it just me, or does he look more like Alpha than any other wrestler? I, I agree. He has he does look like Alpha. Uh he has that boxed off face where the Usos and some and, and Roman have that more longer jaw. Um and I'll be honest, he has a moveset like I've never seen from any of the other ones. This isn't just Jimmy and Jay with the super kick or Roman with a spear. This guy moves. So. Yeah, uh, he, he, he seems like a legit, a legit badass. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it's about time WWE finally signed him because he's been sitting there for like two years waiting. So um, we then go to the ring for the Creed brothers taking on Jack at time. I guess that's what I'm going to call them from now on. Um, the Creed brothers manhandled Jiro, but the jacket wearer tries to fight back. Uh, Kushida got tagged in, and uh, it took it to Brutus and Julia, Julius Creed. Uh, all four got involved in and out of the ring, which led to Julius hitting a stuffed powerbomb on Jiro for the win at the 10-minute mark. Now, I actually thought this was a good match because Kushida, when he was in the ring, was actually having some great offense, and he was putting up some great defense as well. Jiro wasn't terrible, but my feeling is the way we always wanted somebody to yank on the tie of Erwin R. Scheister, I want somebody to pull his jacket over his head and beat him up hockey style. You know what I mean? And it just it's not happening yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's just, <laughs> but it was a good, it was a, it was a decent, good match, uh, you know, with all four guys getting to show off a bit. And then Odyssey Jones hit the ring to come and save Jiro and Kushida. My only problem with this is the Diamond Mine weren't beating them up. So Odyssey Jones, Jones was just like, I'm going to be here just in case. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I agree. So. Well, Odyssey Jones is a man. And if, if pushed right, he could be along the lines of the next Bronson Reed. Well, that's what I'm I'm not understanding. You fired Bronson Reed and then brought in a guy the exact height and build of him. So yep. what was the thought I, there? I don't get that. 
Oh, we could fire him. We have more of him. Don't worry. <laughs> Mark, we could fire him. We have more of him. Don't worry. We have others waiting to come to come up just like him. You know. <laughs> just... <clears throat> Outside the arena, uh, toxic attraction or leaving. And they sent a message to Kylie Ray. But just then, Raquel Gonzalez pulls up in her new motorcycle. She's really trying to be the female American badass, it seems like. Uh, former NXT Women's Champion pulls right into the arena and has something to say. Uh, Gonzalez says Mandy may have her title for now, but she's got her sights set on Dakota Kai. Kai interrupted and wants to let Gonzalez know how she feels, but Cora Jade attacks Kai, uh, looking to get revenge for last week. Gonzalez walks up to Cora after Dakota has ran off and lets Cora know that Dakota Kai is hers first. But you'll leave a little something for her uh, when they're done. Um, I like all three women involved. I, I like Dakota Kai. I think she's got great skill. Raquel Gonzalez was a decent women's champion. And Cora Jade is a newcomer that has a nice feel to her. So, you know, what do you think about them? My whole take on the situation with, all right, for one, Raquel Gonzalez looks like Peggy Bundy, as I've told you before. <laughs> <laughs> that has with her in-ring work. I think she, as far as the wrestler goes, she's a mammoth of a woman who could be pushed as one of the most dominant women in NXT. I agree. History. And I just don't see how Dakota Kai could get the best of her because the size difference. I mean, I understand it's all a work, but you just don't look at Dakota Kai and say, yeah, she has a snowball chance of hell against the field. See, I, I agree with you. I agree with you there, and I don't mean to interrupt, but when they were together, I was getting an HBK Diesel vibe from them. You know what I mean? Like Raquel was meant to be the Diesel yep. while HBK, while Dakota was the HBK. And then, of course, Raquel got the the, 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 the she, she took off and became champion. So if they do feud and Dakota does win, I could see it happening with some underhanded tactics like Sean did when he beat Diesel those couple times. Um, right. You know, I like I like the way they're going with that. And what is your thoughts on Cora Jade? Cora, she seems like like she's got more of the serious badass gimmick at the same time. Uh, I definitely could see her being somewhat of a challenge for Raquel, but... In the end, I still see Raquel taking both of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could agree with that. Uh, we then jump to Andre Chase, and he is delivering a speech to his students. Uh, I'm not liking this guy. I got to be honest with you, Mark. Andre Chase, Jiro, uh, Grayson Waller, uh, Tony D'Angelo, and that Lash Legend girl, they all seem like filler characters for NXT. And I hate to use this word. I know there are a lot of people in the world who hate this word word, but they almost feel like jobbers who have names and entrances. I agree. And uh, is it just me, or is Andre Chase like the second coming of Chris Nowinski? Yeah. That, uh, Chris Nowinski, Matt Stryker, Dean Douglas, you know, it's like, uh, let's take all three right. of those failed gimmicks and put them together. Here's Andre Chase, ladies and gentlemen. You know. Right, and, it's, uh, and, and we're going to expect this is going to be a idea on NXT when it didn't work in WWE. Right, 
Right. It hasn't. It never worked. Those three men failed in it. Now, Shane Douglas came from ECW as the biggest star that that company had at the time. He couldn't make it work. Matt Stryker, who was actually a teacher, couldn't make it work. And Christopher Nowinski got a concussion and was still trying to make it work and still trying to, and the fans just rejected it every time. Yep. So I just like I said those that I, that. I get it. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go I ahead. Get every so often they, they recycle the gimmick and thing. Let's see if it'll work. Now. I, I guess. I guess. But I mean, like I said, those guys I gl- I lumped together. Tony D'Angelo with that stereotypical Sopranos gimmick. Uh, you know, Lash Legend. She's just you know she's trying to be this talk show host. It's like, okay, we get it. You needed to get some of the students out of the, the, the class and make them actual characters, but maybe we could have done better than just throwing a dartboard at the board and saying, okay, this is your name, this is your occupation, and now go out there and wrestle. You know what I mean? It's... Yeah, man, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, these people could have, you know, really serious in-ring talent. And right. Instead, they're going to be buried. So we go to the Grizzled Young Veterans, which is a tag team that I like, and they're doing something involving food and grifting and, like, trying to scam people. Um, I was just very confused by this segment. It really made no sense. Like, I got it. Like, if if you can distract people while you steal from them, you can distract the referee while I do something underhanded. But I think they could have done this a better way than what they did. Yeah, other than a DoorDash scam. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we then go to Cameron Grimes taking on Rue Feng. Uh, this was a two-minute squash match where Feng got in like two moves, and Grimes hit him with a chop, a clothesline, uh, finally hit his splash and double stomp and got the win. This was okay, but it was the post-match that what is what got me here, Mark. Duke Hudson hit the ring. And he's pissed that Cameron Grimes beat him in his own casino last week. Uh, and he wants to he wants to know if Grimes cheated or if he, he hustled him. And Grimes lets him know that he, he hustled him. So that lets Duke challenge him. And I was like, okay, great. We're going to get a match. And then Duke's like, I challenge you to a poker showdown next week. What the fuck is a poker showdown? Is, is that a dance off? Is that a, you know, are they going to play poker in the middle of the ring for 30 minutes? You know, I mean, I I don't mind this. It's funny. It does add comedy, but when do we actually get to see, see Duke Hudson wrestle? Yeah. I agree. And, and to me, his gimmick, it, it kind of reminds me of a Wade Barrett. Right. Joe Pesci from Casino. Right. <laughs> right. Look, Cameron Grimes is great, and whatever they've tried to do with him, he's been making it work. I hope he helps Duke Hudson get over. But if it's just going to be play poker, I, I, I need something more. You know, I don't know. Right. Uh, we get our triple threat that was talked about earlier, Sequoia. Uh, taking on uh, Elliot Knight and Grayson Waller. Sequoia starts off with boatmen's hitting boatmen with a smack. 
Waller tries to get the upper hand, and Knight joins in. Both, however, cannot keep the young Samoan down, and he lays them both out with a double clothesline. Knight tried to make a comeback, but Sequoia leveled him, and Waller with a suplex, which I thought was unbelievable the way this guy delivered a suplex. Uh, big splash to Knight, and Sequoia gets a big win in seven minutes flat. This was excellent. You you want to build a newcomer? Build him over a veteran like LA Knight and another newcomer like Waller, but let him pin the veteran. That was perfect. Samoa Joe isn't being cleared to wrestle anytime soon. The poor guy keeps getting injured with the concussions. I wouldn't even mind if they brought Samoa Joe back as maybe his uh, handler. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that would actually that would actually be really really good to begin with. So uh, we then go to Indy. I mean, if he's not gonna talk that much, he's right? Right. He should have a mouthpiece, and who better than Samoa Joe? Um. Uh, we then go to Indy Hartwell and her friend Parada backstage. They're interrupted by Tony D'Angelo. Tony says he's going to take Dexter Loomis out next week and leaves them with a fish, which is that, again, stereotypical godfather. Look, I love the godfather. I love Sopranos. I love Goodfellas. But these are bad jokes. You know what I mean? No one is laughing at this. They're yeah, going, really? The yeah, you know what I mean? It's... It's just stereotypical for the sake of stereotypical. And we've seen that already tonight with the Japanese guy wearing a jacket. You know what I mean? So we don't need yeah, it twice. I, I kind of got the whole Johnny Stampoli uh, vibe off of him. Okay, but at least Johnny Stampoli could wrestle. Yeah. Johnny the Bull was a fighter. He, he actually had a, a move set. You know, but... Uh, but just the fedora and yeah. his whole yeah. mannerism, that, that, that's what I, what I, I was like, that took me back to him. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, Electra Lopez takes on Erica Yang next. Another squash match here. Electra botching uh, her way to victory in two minutes. What I mean by that is uh, the ending powerbomb looked like it almost broke Ian's neck. Um, very, very yep. scary. Post-match, Electra calls out Zion Quinn to the ring. He answers rather quickly, and Electra offers him to join um, Legato del Fantasma. Uh, he declines. Alexa, Alexa, go to sleep. Okay, my Alexa's talking to me. Uh, <laughs> he declined rather quickly to join Legato, and uh, then Wilde and Mendoza tried to take him out, and he wasn't having it. He beat them both up and threw them out of the ring, and then he wrapped his arms around Electra. A um, little corny, but I'll give this time because I like the way Zion Quinn is being uh, being booked here. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's good like, as far as intriguing. It makes you want to know what's going to happen. Next. Right. You, you can see the attraction between him and Electra or whatever her name is. Right. Her name is name Electra. Yeah, it's Electra Lopez. Yeah. But, uh, to me, she reminds me of the Hispanic cousin of Nia Jax. Yes, thank you. I was thinking the same thing. 
I was thinking the same thing of that power bomb, bro. When I saw the way she landed that power bomb, I was like, dude, how is that little girl not dead? You know, she's got to protect whoever she's working with. I agree, I agree. But again, that's what happens when you bring up too many people too quickly without knowing if they're really ready to go or not. You know, exactly. War Games is back on Sunday, December 5th, one of my favorite pay per views ever. And I just hope that with the depleted roster that we have on NXT, we get some decent War Games matches out of it. You know? Yeah. You know, there's no Adam Cole. There's no Undisputed Area. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm I'm thinking we're probably going to get, tell me what you think of this, Mark. It's probably going to be Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, and maybe Dexter Loomis. Versus whoever they're, those four guys are feuding with at the time. It could be good as long as it's progressed, right? Right. I mean, that, that would probably piss <laughs> Breaker on the other team. And to be honest with you, Breaker's over with me. Oh, yeah. So I would want to naturally see them win, but I don't think that they're going to let Breaker beat Chompa. No, yet. not yet. And not yet. I still think would probably be too soon because they need to progress him and build him into what people expect to see out of him as far as, you know, he, he's got the lineage in wrestling where he should be a superior athlete. Exactly. I agree. And... Look, Ciampa's a great wrestler, and he's he's been one of the better NXT champions. But I like Ciampa chasing the belt a little more than I like him actually holding it. Yeah, because he kind of gives off that Smeagol from Lord of the Rings vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole Goldie is my precious. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I like Ciampa. Don't get me wrong. No, I do too. Don't get me wrong. I think Ciampa is great. But I'm with you. I'd like to see him chasing it other than actually having it. Right, right. McKenzie then talks to Kyle O'Reilly about the last week's loss. Kyle says the ref made a mistake because he didn't notice uh, Von Wagner's foot on the ropes. Uh, uh, But he and Von are going to have their sights set on the tag team titles. And speaking of the tag team titles, Imperium come in. But Von then shows up and Von Wagner scares them off. But we're going to find out something in a little while from Mark regarding Von Wagner, which makes me think that maybe Kyle is about to be tag team partnerless. But we'll get into that in just a bit. Um, I like Kyle O'Reilly, but he's like the last of the Undisputed Era left in NXT. I mean, there's Roderick Strong, but he's got something going on with Diamond Mine. Kyle looks like a man without a country. You know what I mean? He's just there. Indeed. He's just there. And putting him with Von Wagner, I think, was the wrong move. because I like Von Wagner from what I've seen so far. Um, but Kyle O'Reilly needed to be a single star, not a tag team star again. Yeah, I agree. You know, that's, that's just... push him to the moon as a single guy. You know what? I, I've always seen this with him, though, uh, Mark. Kyle O'Reilly and Ring of Honor, when they finally gave him the world title... He held it for like six weeks, and then Adam Cole came back and beat him for it. Here in NXT, he tried challenging for it a number of times. He couldn't get the job done. It's like they see star in him, but they just can't let it. They just can't push him over the line to let him actually do it. Yeah, it's yeah. like what is he missing? Right. For, for 
Right. You know, he, he cuts a decent promo. He's a damn machine in the ring, you know, but to each their own, I guess. They got to they gotta do something with him eventually. Uh, yeah, maybe they're seeing something we're not seeing. Maybe, maybe. We then have our main event, and it's Pete Dunne taking on Carmelo Hayes in a non-title match. Pete Dunne starts off fast and strong, kicks to the head and elbows, keep Hayes down. Hayes made somewhat of a comeback with these two, had a really good technical showdown, which was weird because Hayes is usually going to the air. Uh, Dunn used joint manipulation, yep. but Hayes fought back. Trick tried to get involved, but Dunn saw it coming. However, it allowed Hayes to take Dunn out. Dexter Loomis then appeared in the crowd, um, and then an arm grabbed uh, Carmelo Hayes from under the ring, which was weird because Car- Dexter was in the crowd. Um, Dunn hit his finisher on Carmelo Hayes at the 15-minute mark with a little bit of help from Loomis, and who was then shown to be Johnny Gargano under the ring. It was a great main event, though. Both guys highlighted very well, uh, great back and forth, uh, and very well done uh, for this week's show in regards to wrestling. Um, you know, I know I made a couple jokes, but the matches were much better. And I, I'd give the score for NXT this week a four out of five. Uh, definite improvement from last week's show. Yes. Yes. It's. It, I think that's the only way Vince knows how to book African American stars. To be honest with you, when they're together, unless they're the New Day, you know. And I'm not making fun. It's just if you look at every the Street Profits, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, uh, 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 Crime Time. Uh, it, it just whenever there's two African American guys together. They have to be hood for some reason. They can't just be, you know, what they are. You know, Carmelo Hayes, when he first walked into NXT, was this young, brash kid who said when Carmelo shoots, he doesn't miss. All of a sudden, fast forward four weeks later, and he's wearing a basketball jersey, and he's got on Jordan, and it's like, what changed? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> what changed? Who changed you? Who who did this to you? Right, right. So, and now switching gears to AEW Dynamite, my partner, Mark here, not the biggest AEW fan. I'll let you in on on that now. He likes it, but he's not like I am. So he may have a difference of opinion here. And um, AEW starting out the way they have been starting for weeks. We go to the ring for our opening match. Loving this. Love seeing opening opening sequence action. I, the only thing better, I guess, is if they started the show with a match already in progress. Uh, <laughs> and we get Brian Danielson versus Rocky Romero. And these two have a history. They've trained in the New Japan Dojo together. So they, they have a, a, a good, you know, rapport with one another. And Handshake starts us out. And uh, here we go. Both men trade arm locks, reversals, and right hands and kicks. Very evenly matched here in our opener. Romero finally broke loose with a Huracan Rana from the second rope to the outside. Danielson fought back, landed multiple stomps to uh, 
the back of uh, Romero's head, and then switched from the LaBelle lock to a Tequila Sunrise when he couldn't lock the LaBelle lock in and gets a big win, great win, in 14 minutes of this opening matchup. I thought it was fantastic. I, I agree. That was a damn good opener. And I'll say this, Daniel Bryan is not not a superstar that needs build because he's already into the mountain and stuff in WWE. Right. And what <coughs> he is doing in AEW, I think it's good. And it was a very entertaining match. Yeah, it was technical wrestling at its finest. He's had eight matches so far uh, in AEW, and each match has been different. That's what I like about Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, outside of the WWE. Yeah. It's not the same match every week, week in and, a, and week out. He switches the submission. He switches the way he delivers a kick. He even switches the way he goes to the top rope every time he's in the ring. Yeah, it's, it's like he's evolving who he is. And with any gimmick, that is how it should go, is you should evolve it. I agree. I agree. Uh, we then yeah. go to Tony Schiavone Wait, introducing thanks. who? What were you calling them earlier, Mark? <laughs> Chris Jericho and, and the elder. <laughs> Here's the funny part the oldest guy in that group besides Jericho is Jake Hager. <laughs> so. <laughs> I know. It's a shit. It's a shit. No, I don't. Oh Tony brings them to the ring, and then American Top Team attacks from behind. They beat down the entire inner circle. Dos Santos destroyed Guevara with a right hand, which that was the only believable part of this whole beatdown was that right hand that Junior yeah, Dos Santos delivered. Like right, you know, but you got guys trying to use. Trash cans when they never had and hitting people with them and they're missing. Guys trying to use a kendo stick. It got to the point at one point, Ethan Page picked up the kendo stick and just threw it on the ground because he couldn't believe how bad they were at swinging it. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's like, damn it! And he just walked away. And then it ended with uh, Dan Lambert, of all people, putting Chris Jericho through a table, Dudley Boy style. Scorpio Sky grabs the mic and says, he makes a promise that Dan Lambert will pin Chris Jericho this Saturday at the full gear, but he is going to allow Dan Lambert to submit Chris Jericho tonight. Lambert puts on the walls of Jericho. Not bad, actually. It looked like a decent Boston Crab. And uh, segment is over. Uh, and I, I got to say, except for the bad you know, way that the American top team were attacking uh, this was actually well done in a story arc way because the inner circle has been getting the upper hand the last couple of weeks, so it only makes sense for their aggress- aggressors to beat the crap out of them going into the pay-per-view. Yeah, I agree. And But to me, these guys are legitimate MMA fighters. Right. I understand they're not going to go out there and knock the block off of them, you know, right off the jump and all right. that. And, and that, you know, they're, they're still green when it comes to the sense of wrestling. But the way it looked, it looked so absolutely horrible that right. I would have I hit him with the Simon Cow. That is absolutely horrible. I, I agree. I agree. You, you know, and that, that really actually comes down to the cameraman, too. You shouldn't have been that up close when those shots were being given so that it didn't look as bad. 
But um, we know AEW's production sometimes gets really bad when it comes to showing things they shouldn't be. But like I said, that one shot Junior Dos Santos got on Sammy Guevara, I cringed. I was like, damn, did he make contact? You know what I mean? Because it, it looked it looked good. It wasn't bold. Yeah, it definitely wasn't bold. <laughs> like, this is what you guys get for making fun of Paige Van Zandt. <laughs> we then go to a six-woman tag, and we got Britt Baker, uh, Rebel, and Jamie Hayter taking on Ty Conti, Anna Jay, and Thunder Rosa. I like everyone involved in this match. I think all six of these women are great wrestlers. Uh, match starts out as a huge brawl between all six women, but Conti, Jay, and Rosa get the upper hand. Rosa and uh, Baker start us off, and we have, go back and forth with reversals. So Britt tags out. Anna Jay comes in and levels the women's champion, but this brings in Hater. Hater tries to gain control, but in comes Ty Conti. All six women again brawl. Only this time, Conti hits her finisher and picks up the win in 10 minutes. Another solid match here, and Ty Conti has momentum going into full gear mark, but little different between the NXT women's six-man tag and the AEW's women's six-man tag. It was like all six of the AEW women had to be in the ring at the same time in order to get the fans going. You know what I mean? Right. Otherwise, it was just dead silence. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was it was good though. I I, I enjoyed the way that they uh, they made Thunder Rosa and Anna Jay look. And Red Baker is a is a damn good women's champion. I'll be honest. I don't foresee Ty Conte getting the win at Full Gear. I, I'm a fan of both. I'm a, I'm a fan of well, I'm a fan of Thunder Rosa. I'm a fan of uh, Britt Baker, Ty Conte. I mean. Tremendous women talent. Yes. Yes. So, uh, we then get dueling promos from Chris Statlander and Ruby Soho about their TBS tournament match. This match still hasn't happened. It seems like they've been building it for three weeks. Like, is this going to be the Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior of the women's tournament? You know what I mean? There's like too much build. There's too much build for these two. I look, I like them. I, Ruby Soho, great, great, great women's wrestler. Chris Statlander, great. I love her gimmick. But you can't build this match for three weeks. It's the quarterfinals no, matchup. You know, eventually people are going to want to see it happen. Right. It happens, the better it is for right. You know, it's like when? Why? I thought it happened weeks ago, but they were like, no. When we fight each other, this is going. I'm like, what? So <laughs> we then go back to the ring, which I love about AEW. It's not just all talk, talk, talk. Uh, Jungle Boy takes on Anthony Bowens. Uh, I actually know Anthony Bowens. He wrestled, used to wrestle here in Rowway, New Jersey at We Are Wrestle Pro. I met him dozens of times. Great guy. Uh, this was two young guys fighting it from the opening bell to the ending, and that's what they did. Bowens used raw power and hit a monstrous suplex. Jungle Boy made a comeback and used his speed to go to the air. Max Caster tried for the distraction, but Jungle Boy caught Bowens in the snare trap and got the win in 10 minutes. Great match. Props to both. They had they had good chemistry here, Mark. They were just, it wasn't just, you know, you let me hit a move and then I'll let you hit a move. They were actually working together, you know, to, to put each other over. Yeah, I agree. I'm a huge fan of Jungle Boy. And, uh, me too. 
Uh, the other guy's pretty good, at, other than the fact that he has the AEW's version of uh, the basic Nugganomics. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <clears throat> but Max Caster, here's the thing about it. If you've ever, I'm sure you've heard his raps. He usually delivers a yeah. shoot in one of his raps every week. That's a shot at either the WWE or one of the guys and their girlfriends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he hit, he hit Jungle Boy with the, uh, his girl. He he hanging out with, with, ten, with eight guys. guys. Yeah, <laughs> I died laughing. Yeah. I like that's right. He's dating Anna J. Oh my god. <laughs> so post match. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was it was witty. It was definitely was, but you're right. His the rap gimmick him coming to the ring little played out though. Uh post match, Bobby oh, yeah. Fish hits the ring and attacked Jungle Boy. And at first I was like, what the hell's going on here? And Christian Cage and Luchasaurus make the save. We then hear a vignettes from Adam Page and uh Kenny Omega before full gear. Both men gave the gave me chills with their words leading up to their match. Uh, from there, we have Adam Cole introducing the Young Bucks to Bobby Fish, and apparently Fish is Cole's hired assassin. And that's where it finally hit me. Oh, yeah, Undisputed Era. That's right. That's where he, why he's there. Because <laughs> at first, I'm like, why the hell is Bobby Fish beating up Jungle Boy? What's going on here? And then I, when I saw him with Cole, I'm like, oh, right, they're friends. Okay, makes sense. Um, right. But uh, it's going to lead to... Jungle Boy and Bobby Fish having a match this coming Friday night, or it's already passed, this Friday on Rampage. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, Kenny and uh, Adam Page at Full Gear? Uh, Page and Omega, to me, it's, it's, it's okay. Like, I'm more of a fan of Page than I am Omega. Okay. I, don't get me wrong. Kenny Omega, tremendous in-ring work. Right. I'm just so tired of seeing him. I agree. He's the man. I agree. I mean, not saying he's not main event caliber. I'm just, it's kind of like, it's predictable. And, and you need that shock and awe factor. I, I agree with you. Uh, so, to have Paige go over on him, in some form, right? If even if it's not look, I, I I think Page deserves the title, but even if he just beats Omega by DQ and has another title shot down the line, I'm okay with that too. Um, but you know, the Young Bucks, Cody and Kenny Omega did interviews before AEW started, and they all four said at this you know different times, we're not going to put ourselves over right away because we don't want people to think well we only get put over because we're executive vice presidents. And then when they finally did put themselves over, it happened anyway. You know what I mean? We're getting tired of Kenny. We got tired of the Young Bucks as the tag champs. People are booing Cody out of the goddamn arena. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's like, we, we, you know, it's not their fault, though. They are big-name attractions. You, right. have to, you have to put them over eventually. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, but I, I get what you're saying. It's time for someone else to take the belt. There's only been three champions now since AEW started, so it makes sense for the belt to maybe jump to somebody else. And Adam Page is the heir apparent, in my opinion. If it's not him, then put it on Punk. You know what I mean? Put it. That's what you brought Punk there for anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Punk's a major draw for them. 
Right. And, so, I mean, in the realm of things, it made sense to bring him in because that gave them a competitive edge, <laughs> to speak, over the WWE. Right. And it, it was good for their numbers. Exactly. So. Uh, we then, speaking of CM Punk, get replays of Punk and Kingston from last week. JR and Excalibur talk o- talk it over and say that Punk needs to wrestle and not brawl with Kingston. I agree with this, but either way, this is going to be a war. Um, I loved everything about their promo together, Mark, last week. That was raw, it was real, and I felt everything they said to each other. Punk is coming into this match thinking it's going to be a wrestling match. Oh, no. He's preparing the wrong way. Because Eddie Kingston, and, and just the way that he's been pushed in his whole character, yep. this man is coming to fight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's, a, he's a badass, and I expect no less than Eddie Kingston coming in there slapping Punk around and I mean, yeah, I'm sure Punk's going to go over, but... I don't know. I'll really, be honest with you. Really. If if I were CM Punk, and I know I'm not, um, he's obviously got me by quite a bit of weight and hair and, you know, attitude and money, but <laughs> if I were CM Punk, <laughs> I'd put Kingston over because Eddie Kingston is a draw his own self. That man... Yeah. He is definitely one that in the future that they could put the company on his back right. and have him potentially a world champion and it'd be over. Right. Right. I, 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 I've I said this around others and they've, they've agreed with me to a certain extent. And maybe I'm wrong, but Eddie Kingston delivers a modern day promo the way Dusty Rhodes used to in the 80s and the 90s. You feel it. Right, right, legit, right. Like every every time this man cuts a promo, or every time this man goes out there and puts in work in the ring, you you can tell what kind of person Eddie Kingston is. Right, right. And and that on a on another level is going to connect with the fans that oh yeah they're going to want to see more and more and more and more of Eddie Kingston. Oh yeah, I I agree with you a hundred percent. Wardlow then took on uh, Yuta, who is a friend of the best friends. Uh, this was a straight-up squash match. Wardlow hit four big power bombs on Yuta, and the crowd loved every minute of it. They were asking for more. Awkward-looking finisher, though, and Wardlow gets the win in three minutes. Uh, not the best match, but not bad. I mean, I understand. you got to put Wardlow over as a beast. Um, then post-match, Matt Hardy hits the ring. And he takes out Chucky e. T, and then he hits a, a a twist of fate with Orange Cassidy's head in a chair. I didn't even know this feud was still going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? It kind of caught me by surprise. I'm like, what the fuck is Matt Hardy doing out there? You know. I... Um, to me, Wardlow is what Batista should have been in WWE. I agree. Like, if they would have had that same momentum in WWE with Batista and booked him the way that they booked him toward low, Batista would have been a lot more dominant. Not saying that he was bad, but I'm just saying that that's the point <coughs> of what I 
I I agree with you on that one. I agree with you on that one. And it's a slow burn with Wardlow. They're not forcing him. You know what I mean? When it's whenever he has a match, though, he he performs. And uh, I like him right. with MJF for now, but I'm ready for the blow off of where he's finally going to push MJF down and just be like, I'm going off on my own. You know what I mean? Um, right. Or, or lead into a feud with him. And right. Wardlow just obliterates him. That would make more sense because if MJF is going to lose to anybody, it would be the monster he brought in. You know? Right. Backstage, CM Punk and Eddie Kingston are being separated. Uh, they, they, this is like five minutes of a war of the words with guys holding them back. And I, I thought it was great. I found it odd that Dustin Rhodes was the one holding back CM Punk and that Ruby Soho was the one holding back Eddie Kingston. And I, I know that yeah, seems yeah, that, weird, that, that, but it's like, like what Dustin Rhodes, you don't have a horse in this, a dog in this fight. And the only thing I can think of is because right. I've heard Ruby say before, her and Eddie are actually very close friends because they grew up on the independent scene together. So okay, that made sense. But I'm like Dustin, what, I'm like Dustin, what are you doing there? You know what I mean? You have no reason to be there. Yeah, you know. I mean, and then they were going back and forth, going back and forth, going back and forth. But I mean, it, it's easy to talk shit from forty to fifty yards away. Right. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, out of the out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, wait a minute, that's Brock Anderson. Like again, it was another weird sighting. Like, why is Arn Anderson's son holding CM Punk? You know what I mean? <laughs> it, like they yeah. like they they were getting this segment together. Like, okay, who wants TV time for like five minutes? And Dustin and Brock were like, I right. do. Who isn't going to be on the show for the next couple of weeks? Uh, me. Okay, okay Dustin, we got you. <laughs> we got you, Dustin. Don't worry. Go hold punk. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> we then get to a match that has been getting rave reviews since it aired. It is Leo Rush and Dante Martin taking on Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty. And I have to say, I mean, I, I heard the reviews before I watched this match, Mark. But all four of these guys shined. Martin and Moriarty traded pins to start off and then submissions for the first few minutes. And it was like, wow, what am I watching here? You know what I mean? I, I, I agree. It was, a, it was a great, great match. Uh, side note. Martin to me looks like the wrestling version of Kane Brown, the country singer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Leo Rush, outstanding talent, high flying, you know, adrenaline pumping. If if that young man could keep his, if he could keep his uh, anxiety and depression at bay, which I know that's easily said than done, Leo Rush would be a star right now in any company. But the fact that when he got fired from the WWE, he got so many demons inside of him. And he felt like he wasn't worthy, that he had to quit wrestling three times. I just hope that he's finally got everything at bay and can come back. And with Dante Martin, what they did on on Dynamite, this match was 10 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. But I wanted it to go 35 or 40 minutes. And I wanted it to be in, like, the Tokyo Dome with, like, 100,000 people watching them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, 
even if it would have went that long, you still would have been entertained because right. That's the that's the tier of talent that was in this match. Right. I, I had never really heard of Lee Moyarty before this match. I mean, I know he was on Dark a lot, but I saw this kid and I'm like, wow, he actually, for his first televised, uh, you know, dynamite match, this kid could go. You know, him and Martin basically took up yeah. a lot of the slack of this match. They were in this match almost the entire time. But Rush and Seidel were trading move for move for move. They had a reversal segment in this match between Seidel and Rush. That went like two minutes long, and neither guy looked winded afterwards. You know, they they just picked up and went, "Okay, tag." And didn't Rex like do this dive to the outside onto the other guys? It was from the bottom. He literally dove through the bottom rope. Now most guys come through the middle. Yeah, he went through the bottom rope and landed perfectly on his feet. Yeah, I mean, you know, then. Dante Martin hitting that, that double jump. Dante Martin hits a double jump moonsault that Sabu wishes he could have hit in his prime. Yes. You know. I agree. That was, that was beautiful. Great, great matchup. It deserves, it deserves the praise that it got. If you watch nothing else on Dynamite this week, watch that match. And that match will explain the whole show to you because that match was the whole show for 10 minutes. Yeah, it was the Dynamite. It, definitely. We then go to the ring, back to the ring. Dax Hardwood taking on Pac. And from the bell, this was a brawl. Uh, Pac and Dax had a war going back and forth. Pac hit a tope to the outside, taking Dax down and out on the floor. Dax tried to make a comeback, but the bastard hit a hard reversal. And Pac went for the black arrow, but Dax rolled out of the way. Pac with a roll-up. Dax kicked out, but right into the rings of Saturn for the submission win. And Pac gets the win in 13 minutes. I love how they followed up that high-flying technical battle, which is an all-out fight between Pac and Dax Hardwood. It was perfectly done. 23 minutes of great wrestling in two matches. Oh, yeah. Both, both guys, both guys, former WWE talent. And to me, they, that, that just goes to showcase as a single superstar of what Dax can do. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, the WWE now, putting him with... with... Go ahead. Post-match, whenever his partner come into the ring. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this was just at first glance. I'm like, what the hell is BPJ doing? Out <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, Cash Wheeler hit the ring. And he's he's try he's fumbling with Pog, he's trying to hit him, he's doing and then all of a sudden here comes Andrade and Alistair Black and Malachi Black. Okay, great. And then but see the, all right, the Lucha Bros and Cody make the save. All eight men fought it out in the ring and then great ending to the match. What I'm not understanding is all right, Andrade and Malachi Black getting together, I'm all for. Is FTR gonna join them? Because they're in the pinnacle. So, could we possibly see a rift with MJF? Or do they all join together and make a super group? Or, you know, do, do Malachi Black and Andrade not need a group and they're just going to be together to take out Cody? I'm just, there's a lot of questions well, here to be answered. To it. It all like they left way too many doors. Right. Right. 
But whatever it is, it seems like it all it all comes down to one thing: beating Cody Rhodes' ass in the middle of the ring. Because all of these guys all have that same mentality to beat Cody Rhodes up. Yeah, you know, because they know it's going to get him over. Yeah, right. The crowd's going to boom anyway. I might as well get the match with Cody. Right. So if they're cheering, I don't know if they're cheering for me or if it's because I'm kicking Cody's ass. Right. Exactly. Uh, Then we get a great vignette of MJF and Darby Allen. Uh, In my opinion, the future of AEW is what is going to be in this match, and it should be a show stealer, uh, if anything, between these two great young talents. Um, We then are treated to the contract signing between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Uh, Both guys lay their claim to being AEW champion. Page says that he, he tried to be all that he could when he was Kenny's partner, but Kenny pushed him away. Kenny said, no, he wanted to be Hangman's partner. And then Ke- and then Paige throws a, a zinger at him and says, your last partner wasn't only your tag team partner. And that was in reference to Kota Ibushi, who was actually Kenny's boyfriend as well. Um, I have, I want everybody, I know Kenny Omega is bisexual and I have no problem with that. But Hangman came off as a little homophobic with that statement. Well, I mean, I could, you could have took that one of two ways. He was either a homophobic or he was jealous. Right. Either or. Either or. So. I wanted to be your partner. No, but. <laughs> Kenny gets up to leave, and then Don Callis comes in dressed as a camera guy and hits uh, and Adam over the head. Kenny then signs the contract in blood, and we go off the air. I'm hoping Don Callis is not really involved in the match at all at full gear because I would like a good one-on-one match. Um, but we both know that might not happen. Was that? I mean, that's what that's what everybody wants to see. They want. They don't want to see interference and that costing one of the, one right. of the match or anything like that. They want to see these two men naturally just duke it out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I give. I give AEW though a four out of five as well. The in-ring action was fantastic, and everything that was talked about was leading towards pushing to pull to full gear. When you're at your go one of your go home shows for your pay per view, that's all you should be talking about. You know, right? So, um, did, did you notice though, when Omega signed the contract in blood? It looked, it almost looked like the contract in blood that asked. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he signed. He really. He went out of his way to sign it as ugly as possible. I hope that's not his autograph, by the way. Because <laughs> if I ever get a Kenny autograph and it looks like that, I'm not going to be a happy camper. Right. So. Somebody yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to send it over to Mark, who's going to give us his SmackDown review. And again, I'll be here like Mark was to give you what I thought about uh, going, uh, what happened on the show as well. Uh, Mark, go ahead, take it away with SmackDown. All right, we open SmackDown with Sonya Deville introducing the Women's Survivor Series team, which consists of Shotzi Blackheart, Natalia, Shayna Baszler, Aaliyah, and Sasha Banks. 
when she introduces the boss, she comes out and her and Shots try to get at each other and the team keeps them apart. Naomi's music hits. She comes out and gets into Bill's face and chaos ensues. Naomi clocks Baszler and everyone begins brawling. That turns into a six-woman tag that pits Natalia, Baszler, and Shotzi versus Sasha, Leah, and Naomi. Sasha and Natalia start the match off with some quick back and forth. Natalia counters Aaliyah with a mission driver and attempts to pin a pin of her own to no avail. Aaliyah hits Natalia with the bridge and attempts a pin that's broken up by Baszler, who then is taken out of the ring by Sasha Banks. Shotzi tries to jump Sasha from behind and Banks counters and throws her out of the ring. Sasha steps to the apron and hits Baszler with a Meteora. Naomi hits Blackheart with a rear view outside of the ring. And Naomi tries to enter the ring and is met with a drop kick by Natalia. Aaliyah then attempts a sunset flip on Natalia and Natty reverses it into a sharpshooter. Natalia grabs the rope for extra leverage and Naomi thrusts her neck onto the rope, which allows Aaliyah to counter into a roll-up and pick up the victory. I give this match a 3.5 out of 5 because in the business, this is what we call a curtain jerk. And you always want to have a good solid opener. He showcases the top women's talent on SmackDown was a good decision, and I was very entertained in the exchange. I, I agree with you on the women's opening match. Uh, I like the storyline being started with Shotzi and Sasha Banks. Uh, Alia or Aaliyah, I always pronounce her name wrong. Uh, great young talent just coming into SmackDown. And uh, I think they did well promoting her as well as the rest of the women on the Survivor Series team. Yeah, and it was her debut. And, I mean, having her pick up the win. Oh, definitely. doesn't hurt. Time. Survivor Series team and Jeff Hardy is seen hanging out listening to him. Sammy asks him what he thinks and Hardy tells him that it sucks real bad. Yes. <laughs> That's followed by Aaliyah being seen backstage ecstatic about winning her debut match on SmackDown. Sonya Deville then interrupts and states that she's been advised that Aaliyah is no longer on the SmackDown Survivor Series team. Now, Which who advised her that? Yeah, you heard that right. Who who advised her that though? I know it was never stated. It was just she, she just. I've just been advised that you're no longer on the SmackDown. I mean, I I understand if if she would have said, "Look, we talked to Vince, and Vince doesn't." Want, you know what I mean? But like, it made no sense. You're right, taking. A, she gave no clarification. Right, right, and. Uh, are are they adding Naomi to the match? Are they left no? They left a big hole on who's taking over her spot. And cliffhanger, right? <laughs> That's what you get. Right. Which I mean makes no sense, but uh, next we got Caleb Braxton trying to interview Roman Reigns. He defers over to Paul Heyman to speak on his behalf. Paul sets a promo announcing the stakes for Xavier Woods versus Roman. The loser will bend the knee to the winner, blah, blah, blah. Same kind of shit as before. And that transitions into another guitar riff from Rick uh, The guy who killed the guy who killed Elias. <laughs> yeah, he made, he made Elias look watered down. Let's see. Do we want a folk singer? 
with a, a an acoustic guitar or a guy pretending to play an electric guitar. Yeah, we're gonna go with Rick Moog. Sorry, Lars. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick Moog introduces his partner, the King of Strong Style, Shinsuke Nakamura. Their opponents for the night, Los Lotharios, and they make their entrance. Wait a minute, the you mean? Wait, you mean that wasn't Primo what? and Epico Cologne? No, because that's what they remind me of. In, in a sense, yeah, nah, I definitely see that. <laughs> but uh, we have ourselves a tag team match underway with Booth and Humberto Carrillo to start things off. Nakamura sets up for the Kinshasa, and Carrillo and Garza on Carrillo, and Garza snatches him out of the ring after he has taken out Booth on the outside of the ring. Los Lotharios <coughs> uses underhand tactics and double teams Nakamura, allowing Garza to pin Nakamura to give the upcoming team the win. My rating for this match was three out of five, only because I wanted to see Nakamura and Boots take the W. But in the realm of things, I get why Los Lotharios winning was the right move because it gives them the heat with the crowd. There was and, great athleticism displayed, and it kept me one. And I gotta, I gotta be honest with you here. Uh, their their finisher was badass. It reminded me of total elimination. And I know I made the joke that they remind me of Epico and Primo, but that's just because they're two guys that they threw together. Uh, but Angel Garza can go in the ring, and Humberto Carrillo isn't no slouch either. So I don't mind them winning here. Right. And it works. But no matter what, if they're up against Nakamura and Boots, you want to see Nakamura and Boots win. Oh, of course. Of course. But they have that charisma that you just want to see them succeed. Oh, oh, I I agree with you. But here's the thing Nakamura has been like on a 20 match win streak, and he and Boots have beaten everybody from uh, 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 Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss and. You know they've been beat. They 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 beat uh, um, Apollo and his uh, heavy. You know what I mean. So seeing the new kids in town beat him, it doesn't hurt Nakamura because he didn't lose the Intercontinental title, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't hurt Rick Boogs either because you know he's really not uh, right right. So. GM office where Adam Pierce asked Sonya why she took the lead off the team. Her response was simply to make the team stronger and that she strongly suggests he does the same and exits the room. Uh-huh. Sammy Zane comes in com- complaining about Jeff Hardy to Adam Pierce, and Pierce then sets up a match between Zane and Hardy where the loser is removed from the men's repository team. But who was next to Adam Pierce while this was happening? That was Von Wagner from NXT. Gotcha. The guy that has been teaming with Kyle O'Reilly. So my figuration is right. now that we're going to get to what happens in the Jeff Hardy versus uh, Sami Zayn match, one of those two won't be on the, on the Survivor Series team anymore. They're going to put Von Wagner in whoever isn't on the team anymore's place. And I'm, I'm thinking 
and I'm sorry to take over here for a second. Von Wagner is the son of Wayne Bloom. Remember the guy from uh, the Beverly Brothers? Yep. Okay, that's his dad. So I think they're hoping that Von Wagner is going to pull a rock and have a great Survivor Series. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe be their new electrifying superstar. I don't personally see it, but I think that's what they're leaning towards. Well, right, right, but we don't know a whole hell of a lot about Ron. Well, we didn't really know that much about the Rock either, except for he was Peter Maivia's grandson and Rocky Johnson's son. And and I'm sorry to say this to the listeners: if anybody gets angry with me, please, I'm sorry. Peter Maivia never really had a big career in the WWF, and neither did did Rocky Johnson. They one was a tag team champion, and Peter was you know a part of the company, but didn't really have a break off move you know so the rock doing what he did was going above and beyond what his father and grandfather did von wagner's dad was one of the beverly brothers so again it being that 25 years of the rock debuting they might be looking to do the same thing here i don't know you never can tell yeah i mean it would line up with somewhere near Vince's train of thought right so Yep, she said no way. That is followed by a backstage interview from King Woods, and he vows to beat Roman in the name of King Woods. Um, I'm really starting not to like Xavier Woods, but that's just me. I don't know. Well, I mean, it, to me, it didn't make no sense take the crown from Nakamura. I understand they were having a King of the Ring, but right. take the crown from Nakamura and put it on Woods, and now him and the head of the table is having a view. Right, and it's not for the title. You remember when Brock Lesnar won the King of the Ring? Mm. Remember it was decreed that whoever won the King of the Ring got a title shot? Yep. Why didn't that happen with this King of the Ring? <laughs> Why is he getting a non-title match against Roman Reigns? Right, right. It's like they're doing it reverse. Right. Okay, well, you don't get a title shot. You just get put in a program with, with the champion. Well, when your partner gets beat up, poor Kofi, poor Kofi, you got destroyed for no reason. <laughs> After so. that, Jeff Hardy makes his way to the ring for his match against Sami Zayn. Zayn tries a dirty pin on Jeff, but the ref can't. Zayn <coughs> slipping by arguing with the ref. He turns around into the twist of fate, and Hardy goes up top to deliver the swanton bomb to put the nail in the coffin and take the W. In turn, he remains on the survivor key. I agree. Um, Jeff Hardy is in the twilight of his career, and the constant pushes that he gets makes no sense. He should be being used to put younger talent over. Uh, and Sami Zayn, this character is burnt out now where everything is a conspiracy. Uh, we either need to get back the old Sami Zayn, the fun-loving, you know, happy-go-lucky guy, 
or he needs to try something different, maybe build a militia around him, like he was doing with Cesaro right. and Nakamura, you know? Right, yeah, or to me, he, instead of thinking everything a conspiracy theory, he's just filled with so much rage that he just loses it and, and you know, kicks everybody's ass. Right. Right, I mean, it's it's not. It hasn't led to a push for him. This this whole okay, he was the Intercontinental Champion, and then he got sick and he couldn't couldn't be there. He refused to fight while COVID was going on, which I understand that that was his right. You know, he refused to travel, and then they took the belt off of him, and then they did the whole okay, I'm champion, you're champion, we're champion storyline. But what's he done since then? You know, and now you took him off Survivor Series. Yeah, and now he's off Survivor Series, which again makes no sense. And if it's to put Von Wagner on the team and do what I just said, I would have rather had Sami Zayn on the team. Right. You know, right? So next up, we have a promo from Hit Road, and they freestyle about how they're the next one up. That's preluded by Jinder Mahal and Shanky and their Middle Eastern attempt at a parody of Hit Row. Ice Ice Shanky. closes now. Do what? Ice Ice Shanky. Yeah, and Jinder closes out calling them Friends Row. But I was more disturbed by that dance and the attempt at a rap right. by Jinder and Shanky. Right. I was, I was literally like dumbfounded, like, what the hell was that? Look, I. When Hit Row first debuted in NXT, I called them the Creator Wrestler Crew because they looked like four guys you'd put on WWE SmackDown versus Raw. You know what I mean? Right. But then they they actually started wrestling. Top Dollar actually for a big man could move, and Isaiah right. Swerve Scott, that dude's a badass. If anybody ever watched his matches in Lucha in uh, Lucha Underground or on the Indies, man, that dude can go. And I, I know a little bit yeah. about Ashanti Adonis, you know, but from what I've seen, he can wrestle too. So they're not bad, but you're putting them in a feud with Jinder Mahal and Shanky. And then you left Jinder's yeah. other guy on Raw, which would have helped it to at least be a six-man feud. You know? The so, only thing that could have made, this, made it even more sense is if they would have rapped in their native language. Which I think Shanky was. I, I couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> So, you know, and then on top of all that, you released B-Fab, the girl that was with Hit Row, and she was eye candy for them. She may not have been able to wrestle, but she was good looking. She actually could sing. So. Yeah, and and if nothing else, she was a great mouthpiece. Right. You didn't have to let her wrestle anymore. She had a bad match on NXT. Okay, no big deal. Don't let her wrestle. Right. Just let her cut the promo. Right. But. I mean, I don't know. That was, it was weird altogether. And uh, once again, we're teased with the debut of Zia Lee. Yes. Then Kayla Braxton interviews Rich Holland. He states again that Seamus is his idol and explains that Seamus was his inspiration. And Cesaro interrupts him, warns him against seeking out Seamus' attention. And Rich Holland informs him that Seamus will be returning next week. You get the feeling that. Seamus with his little pork pie hat that he wears and Ridge Holland with his and that club that he wears, they're going to be like these Irish hoodlums. You know, that's going to be the (laughs) storyline. 
Gangs of New York. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the first guy they're going to beat the crap out of is Cesaro. So, <laughs> poor Cesaro. If anybody needed to leave for AEW, it's him. <laughs> and then we're taking to the main event of the evening. Roman Reigns versus King Woods. Some good back and forth between Reigns and Woods. Roman attempts to put Woods through the announcement. <coughs> but evidently, it wasn't giving enough. Woods hits a coast-to-coast elbow drop and then pins Roman. And the Usos appeared and drove Woods out and assaulted him with still steps. Causing Roman the match to be a disqualification. Roman takes a knee in the center of the ring, and the Usos steal Woods' crown and place it atop the already swollen head of Rain. They hold up one finger, and SmackDown goes off the air. I give this match a two out of five, and the only reason it gets that is because of Woods' valiant effort and athleticism. In my opinion, they took the crown from Shinsuke Nakamura right. to do the whole King of the Ring, and then recycled the whole Corbin and Nakamura storyline with a few twists. Right. For fuck's sake, give Corbin his crown back. Right. It'd be more entertaining than having Roman and the bloodline snagger from Woods. Don't I, get me wrong, I enjoy seeing Woods get a push, but Roman being shoved down our throat week after week, I feel has ran its course. And it's time for something different. Overall, I give SmackDown a 2.5 out of 5. Had it not been for the way the main event went, it may have been higher. Once again, WWE dropped the ball with a pivotal moment for Woods' push. And in the words of the great Peter Griffin and Archie Mitchell, that really grind my ears. <laughs> I like it. I, I do agree with you. Uh, I got the strange feeling that Roman may destroy the crown next week. And Woods is probably going to get something new. Because, you know, every king gets a different crown than the one they actually give them. Um, right. And... Like, look, if this is going to lead to Xavier Woods actually having a, a, a world title match against Roman Reigns, I'm, I'm okay with that. Xavier Woods deserves a push. The other members of New Day got one. Why can't he? I, I don't think he should be the champion, but it just seems to me that they ran out of wrestlers for Roman to feud with, and then after the whole shuffle with the, the draft and the lottery and everything, it was like, okay, we have nobody, and Xavier Woods is the king of the ring. Yeah, just put him with Woods. Okay, Woods will work, you know. And Xavier Woods gushing because he hasn't had that push was like, yes, give it to me. I'll take it, you know. But on a positive note, Woods winning via disqualification has now broken Roman's history. Exactly. It was like 900, 958 days or something. Jesus. Like yeah, like Jesus, you let that guy win but for three years like, straight. It's like, do you not have anybody else in this company that you can thank? Right. That would legitimately be a threat to Roman Reigns. But here's the thing, too: you let okay, you let Xavier Woods win a non-title match by disqualification. Nobody else could have beaten him by DQ or count out in the last three years. He had to go on a 958-day winning streak. Like, Jesus. There's no logic to it. So, well. I mean, other than the fact that he's Anna White and Vince has a real magnetic relationship. And I get that. And I get that. But, I mean, uh, 
the Rock lost sometimes too, <laughs> you know, and he don't get more. He don't get more than bigger than the biggest name out of the Samoan tribe than than the Rock. So, right. But all right. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're trying to get him to surpass the Rock. Maybe. There, he's at least surpassing Cena. I know that much. Moving on to AEW Rampage, our final show of the evening. We once again start Rampage off by going to the ring for our opening matchup. Uh, Jungle Boy taking on Bobby Fish. I thought this should have been the main event, but I won't bicker. Uh, Jungle Boy starts off quick with right hands and kicks, but Fish turns it around and goes to the ground. Uh, Almost a botch on the ropes, but Jungle Boy recovers and delivers a nice arm drag. Fish finally grounds Jungle Boy, but a belly-to-belly in the corner and a German gets Jungle Boy a two-count. Fish looked for his standing kicks, but Jungle caught the kick in the air and put on the snare trap, delivered elbows to the head, knocking Bobby Fish out, and gets the win in 12 minutes. Great way to make the youngster look good in this matchup and give him momentum going into full gear, in my opinion. And I agree. I, I, I was very pleased with the fact that just because it's the AEW talent, they come in and he's working Jungle Boy after the attack and all that, that they didn't immediately put. Right, right. I agree. To me, that that was a smart move because you have this homegrown talent in Jungle Boy and the fans love him. Oh, definitely. Every time you hear that music, you're like, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I I sing along to it. I like it. (laughs) You know? Oh, yeah. Post-match, Adam Cole attacks, and he and Fish try to take out Jungle Boy. They set up for a concerto, but Christian and Luchasaurus make the save. The six-man should be a banger at the pay-per-view, Mark, especially with being false count anywhere. It'll definitely be entertaining. It'll probably be one of the most entertaining matches on the oh, card. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was it? Uh, All or Nothing or whatever they had where... The Lucha Brothers went against Jurassic Express. Yep. That was the match of the night. Oh, yeah. That the show for me. So I, anything that those guys do, they captivate the audience, and it's going to be very entertaining. I agree. We get pre-recorded comments from uh, Miro and Brian Danielson before their tournament match final. Uh, then Hangman Page catches up with the Young Bucks. He tells them he believes they're both even since he cost the Bucks a shot at the World Tag Team titles a while back, and the Bucks cost him a shot at the world title a while back also, but he says that if the Bucks try to get involved, he will ruin them. And I don't know why, Mark, but I believe him. He he sounds pretty serious. You know. He, well, I mean, both of those combined don't, don't make a hangman. That's all I'm going to say. Right. <laughs> uh, we then go back to the ring, and it's Jade Cargill. Uh, one of the sisters of the botch uh, uh, group. Uh, she's taking on Santana Garrett, and this was a four-minute squash match. Jade cared more about Red Velvet being in the uh, crowd, uh, but manages to hit her finisher and get the win. Um, we're going to notice a um, continuance going on here tonight with the opponents for the homegrown AEW talent. We'll get to that in a minute. But post-match, Red Velvet speared Cargill, and then dump the cake on Mark Sterling. I got a feeling that this is leading to a match that is going to end in a botch between Red Velvet and uh, Jade Cargill in that TBS title tournament, Mark. Quite possibly. 
Yep. Yep. Well, why don't you have her come in and squash your beast like Nyla or somebody? Right. You know, instead, you're squashing all these small chicks that, I mean, I understand it's good for her character, supposedly. But, I mean. But she's been there a year already. Right. Don't you want to be legitimized after, after, after being right. the baddest bitches on the yard? Right. Like, you, know. you go you go to WrestleMania, you want to face Taker and you want to beat him, you know. Right, you don't want to hear that you're in the opening match with Jinder Mahal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So. Or Shaggy. Right. <laughs> but, and, and Red Velvet to me is just like, you know what, Brandy got pregnant, we need another, another girl to put with Cody. She'll do, you know what I mean? It's just, and I don't know. Yeah, it's forced, exactly. And both of them cannot wrestle. I'm sorry, but they have at least four botches a match. So that's not going to lead to no, a good they, matchup. No, and, the, and they have so much other really good women talent. That, right. I mean, there's no excuse as why not to use one of those. Right. And here's the thing. Jade Cargill squashed Santana Garrett, who on the independent scene is actually a really good talent. So... Okay, you squashed her against somebody decent, but like you brought Santana Garrett in. This is her third match, and she's just being used as enhancement talent so far. You know, and she's probably in the upper echelon of the talent that they that right, they have. right. She, she could hang with the best of them. Definitely, she, she was in the one of the opening like matches for them when they did AEW all the first All In. She was in the first four four way match. It was her, Chelsea Green. Uh, um, what's the young lady's name? Tessa Blanchard and uh, uh, Britt Baker, and they had a great matchup. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, we then go to pre recorded comments from CM Punk and Eddie Kingston. Punk said Eddie is not on his level, and uh, Kingston says Punk is a faker. He said Punk is basically helping the younger guys get over now because he's trying to basically pay for his past sins. Um, I kind of believe both of them, Mark, when I hear both of them say this. You know, when you look at CM Punk, he's been to the top of the mountain. He's a former world champion, WrestleMania main eventer. And then Eddie Kingston saying, well, Punk's only back to help the young kids now to, you know, be the good guy. They're, neither one of them are wrong. No, I mean, they both have valid points. So, but... Right, right. <laughs> and I want to see, I cut, I see, here's my problem, Mark. I, I know you know this about me. You, you know how big of a, a mark I am for CM Punk, uh, dating yeah. back to even before the pipe bomb promo. But over the last three, three or four years, since Eddie Kingston debuted in the NWA with Homicide, I've grown a love for Eddie Kingston as well. So this is like watching. Randy Savage versus Ric Flair for me, in a way. I'm seeing two of my favorites about to collide. I want to just see them have a fight. I want to, I don't care who wins. I just want to see the both of them have the best fight they could possibly have. Right. It's like you got two really cool uncles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, the young man who stole the show on Dynamite is back. Dante Martin is in a match against Aria Davari. And this is that trend I was talking about, Mark. Three matches, 
and three good people who were recently fired by the WWE taking on homegrown AEW talent. Santana Garrett, Arya Davari, Bobby Fish. I think AEW is reaching to get these to get every bit of talent the WWE fires. They need to stop. Yeah. You know. Okay, so you're gonna have to figure out where they have to put them. Right. And I know they've got like five hours of TV between YouTube and actual television shows, but they can't just look if they would have been hiring people like Bray Wyatt, which I'm they're probably going to, but if they were hiring big name stars like they did with Punk and Daniel Bryan and Adam Cole, okay, but you're hiring everybody, and like like there are other companies these people could go to, you know, and then on top of that. Ring of Honor is going out of business, so now you've got more talent that they can purge. So it's like it's like it's basically like releasing me in a in a in a donut shop and not telling me I have to stop. I'm gonna eat. You know what I mean? I'm gonna enjoy myself. Right. I mean eventually though I'm gonna get sick. Okay. Yeah. I know you got the conclusion of this text, but I like the fact that they're not Right, right. And to me, you brought up Bray Wyatt, stuff like that. Right. I'm starting to wonder if, what if it's just the work? Right, what if Wyatt's going back to the WWE? Right. Right, and and, and they're doing the whole uh, smoke and mirrors. Right, you got a point there. It, it, he should have, if he was going to show up anywhere, it should have been within the last two weeks because he was, the uh, the time frame ended two weeks ago. You know what I mean? So, but in any case, Davari attempted some offense and looked good in his debut, but Dante Martin once again had a great showing. Dante hit high, a high-risk move and hit his double-jump moonsault, got the win in five minutes. In my opinion, Dante Martin has become a great match machine. This kid cannot have a bad outing against whoever. No, I don't want. I don't want to jinx him. I wish him all the luck and all the greatest possible success. But I mean, we've seen him against veterans. We've seen him against newcomers, and we've seen him against middle of the gro- of the ground. You know, middle of the road guys. This kid can't be stopped. Yeah, I mean, he has impressive outings as far as the athleticism and. You know, technical in-ring know-how, he seems to have it down pat. Definitely. And he has a bright future ahead of him if he can keep that. And I hate to say this, um, but I, I'm going to liken him to Booker T a little bit. You remember when Stevie Ray got injured and Booker T went out on his own and became a, a single star? Um, yep. Dante Martin's brother got injured like two months ago with an ACL tear, and when that guy comes back, I don't think Dante's going to be waiting to reform a tag team. You know, <laughs> to be like, look, dude, I'm I'm a made man now. I, I don't think we can team. We can team, but we're not going for the tag titles. I'm I'm looking to get it, that TNT belt or the world title. Right. You know, but um, yeah, I mean, but wasn't he offered a uh, post match? 
Post match, yeah. Ricky Starks offers Dante Martin the chance to join Team Taz. Kid looks confused, but we will have to wait and see how this plays out. Leo Rush was at home. They lost his grandmother this uh, last couple of days in between Dynamite and Rampage. Uh, we wish Leo Rush all the best for his family. So they're kind of playing on if Leo isn't around, is Dante Martin easily persuaded to join another team? We saw Dante leave Matt Seidel to go to Leo Rush. So could it also happen by him joining Team Taz? Well, I hope he sticks with Leo. I agree. <laughs> if, you know, the pattern for this where Leo just keeps getting shit. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't need to. I'll be honest, though, whether he joins Team Taz or not, I'm worried about them putting him in a match with powerhouse Hobbs. Hobbs is a great talent, very powerful. His name says it all. But I think that if they do that, then we're looking at Dante Martin getting squashed. You know what I mean? If they're going to give him a, a match right. with Ricky Starks, he could share the ring with Ricky Starks. And even if he loses, it doesn't hurt him because he's losing to a guy that actually is at the same level as him. So no biggie. So I just I hope that if them that would actually be an interesting match to see. Definitely, definitely. I just we ain't seeing Ricky wrestle that much. I'm wondering if he's injured or something. You know, there's got to be a reason why. So and then uh, we go uh, to we hear from Taz and Jr. about the up and coming women's championship match at uh, Full Gear. Jr. thinks that Britt Baker will remain the champion, but Taz thinks that Taya Conte is just too much for the good doctor. Um, honestly, I could see them going either way, but I like Britt Baker as the champion. I think that she is right when she says she's the face of the division. You know, uh, between her, Thunder Rosa, um, you know, I hate to admit it, but Nyla Rose, because she has a former champion, um, that's their division right there. Those three, four women are the brunt of their division. So with Britt as the champion, I think they're full steam ahead. I mean, but who's to say that uh, Ty Conte ain't the next big thing? Oh, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm not doubting your opinion or anything. No, no, I know that. It it might be a uh, a breath of fresh air for the fans. Someone other than Britt with that belt. It could be. But Britt is still getting a crazy reaction, though, Mark. That's the whole thing. Heal her face. She's getting yeah. a pop from that crowd. So, you know. Uh, and, and that comes from being a good uh, wrestler and a fighting champion. Right. Uh, Mark Henry then does his split screen interview with Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy. Uh, Hardy calls Orange Cassidy pockets, which is a little nod to uh, Jim Cornette, and says that he should not be in his business. Cassidy finally speaks up and says he's tired of this, and it's been going on forever. Tonight, it ends. Now, I I agree with Orange Cassidy. This feud feels like it's been going on forever. Like you said earlier, they're going on. Right. I mean, like, I, I don't, and I still don't know what they're feuding over. Matt Hardy feels that Orange Cassidy is better than him, but... You know, he's not because he's Matt Hardy. It's like, okay, we get it. You're Matt Hardy. Without your brother, you're just Matt Hardy. We get it. You're waiting for Jeff to leave the WWF, to leave WWE, and come make the Hardy Boys in AEW one more time. Yeah, and he, and he, <coughs> he also called out 
Harley Quinn was Harley Quinn with Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn was Harley Quinn. Yep. Harley Quinn was Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn was Harley Quinn. I have a wall of text written out about this, but we're gonna we're gonna condense that a bit. Here's why: a lot of this match was comedy, and not very good comedy. For instance, the start of the match, Matt Hardy yells out that if the Lumberjacks take out the best friends, uh, he will give one of them a thousand dollars. This happens, and then we go to Cassidy and Hardy going back and forth. Uh, Hardy throws Cassidy outside of the ring multiple times which the Lumberjacks beat the crap out of Orange Cassidy. Uh, Hardy continues to work on the ribs. He hits a side effect for two. Uh, in come House Hardy. Uh, they battle in the ring with the best friends. Cassidy hits a bunch of Superman punches. Um, and then Blade. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> then the Blade comes in and hits Cassidy with some brass knuckles, and Hardy gets the win in 13 minutes. Like I said, this was way too much comedy, way too much going on. If this was how they were going to end the feud, way really bad way to end it because you left a lot of things open now. But if this feud is going to continue, Lord help me, I, I can't deal with it. I'm not. I I don't hate Orange Cassidy. I'm not a big you know. I'm not a big supporter, but I don't find anything he does bad. I am, however, a hater of Matt Hardy. <laughs> so. It's it's just the way I am. I don't like him. <laughs> I feel like the opener and the main event should have been big time, or at least put the lumberjack match in at second and do the Jade Cargill match first. Yeah, you know what right. I mean, something like that. But if any in, in any of the case, this was not the best main event Rampage has seen, and for that, I give this show a three point five, a three out of five in the ratings. Not bad, but not the best. Like I said, that we've seen from. Rampage and what they've done. You know. I agree. Uh, it was almost, and, uh, the way that they had the matches set up, it felt like an episode of Sunday Night Heat. So, you know. Yeah, or, or a shitty velocity. Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, before we, we get into your uh, other segment, I, I want to ask your uh, opinion on something. You can ask me your opinion, but I have I have a little bit of bad news. Because we had so much to write tonight and talk about, unfortunately, there is nothing that grinds my gears because we got it all off our chest in talking about five shows. So, right, so, <laughs> so go ahead. This, then, huh? Yes. The whole Daniel Bryan and Miro thing. Yes. If you're Tony Khan, mm-hmm. who do you book to win that? Well, I don't like Miro. I like them as Rusev, but Miro is just a weird character, and I know it's just him being himself. Um, but him, the whole "I'm God's favorite champion," and now he's acting like God forsaked him, and he's got to make it up to him or whatever. I don't like where they're going with this character. I, I wish they would have brought Lana in like three months ago and let her be the, the mouthpiece. Um, you know what I mean? Um, if it's yeah, me, I agree. if it's me. I get to Daniel Bryan uh, only, and it's not because, well, you signed such a big name, you got to let him. He's worth it. We know that if Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, is given a world title match, number one, he doesn't care if he's the world heavyweight champion or not. He just likes to be booked high on the card so that he can make whoever he's fighting look good. 
He's making every opponent right. he's beaten so far look fantastic. He made Kenny Omega look like the best thing going today in that 30-minute draw they had. So if you put Daniel Bryan against Kenny Omega again or Adam Page, whoever wins the World Heavyweight title, they're going to have an incredible 30- to 40-minute match. So whether Bryan wins the, the title or not, it's still going to make your champion credible. So I would put it on Daniel Bryan because with Miro, you've built him up like this character who really can't be beaten, and when he is beaten, then he bitches. So it's really not going to matter whether he wins or not because he's still going to be bitching at the end of the day anyway. Right. So that's I, I'd go with Bryan Danielson. What about you? Um, I would like to see Brian Danielson win it, but for some reason, my gut tells me that Miro is going to get it to replace his TNT championship. Right. That it just to me that's just it seems like that's a predictable card falling away. True, true. But and, see, and, and Daniel Bryan said he wanted to get back and, and you know. I I agree with you on that one. The only the only problem I have with if they give the belt to Miro, uh, give the the win to Miro here, is that then you're almost guaranteeing a Hangman win, because I don't foresee Miro fighting Kenny Omega because I don't think they're going to put two full blown heels against each other. You know what I mean? Um. But you never know. I mean, wrestling has done it before. It's it's not against the rules. So, you know. There's rules? Sometimes. Sometimes there is. Like, like, you ever notice they disqualify a wrestler for breaking up his tag team partner's pin? Sometimes because he hit his opponent. Did you know that was a rule? <laughs> I'm not even joking. There's a rule yeah. in the in the books. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, that the rope for that tag for in a tag team uh-huh. has to be a certain length. Or, yep. Or, All right. Or, or they can get disqualified for that. I'm I'm gonna make you laugh about this. I'm watching an episode of WCW from 1999 one night because we were getting ready to do We Can't Wrestle podcast with Nate Maxon, and we were watching the show, and. I forgot who it was, throws his opponent over the top rope. Scott Hudson, who was one of the commentators, says, that should be an immediate disqualification. Now, of course, WCW, when Bill Watts was there, had a rule that you couldn't throw your opponent over the top rope, right? Right. So when Watts left, nobody took that rule out. So that rule actually still stayed in till the day WCW died. So Scott Hutchins says, that should be an immediate disqualification. That's against the rules. And Tony Schiavone, like if he didn't know he had a live mic, turns to Scott Hudson and says, no, we're not doing that tonight. <laughs> and I started laughing and I went, wow, he just broke kayfabe because Scott Hudson was trying to be as by the book as possible. And he had to shut him down and let him know, no, Scott, that's not a rule tonight. We'll do that next week. You know, so yes, there are rules to wrestling. <laughs> so, so again, I apologize for there being no um, grinds my gears this evening. I, I'll have a good one next week. I promise. 
I may even, if Mark joins me again, I may even have Mark do one as well. But next week, I will be reviewing. And Mark, if you'll join me again, I enjoyed having you tonight. You are more than welcome here anytime you want. Next week, I will re- be reviewing. I will be reviewing AEW Full Gear in its entirety, the entire show. We will not be looking at Raw, SmackDown, NXT, or AEW, just the pay-per-view of Full Gear. So, with that being said, Mark, thank you for being here. Do you have any parting words for the fans at home? Yeah. Grab, follow, all that good shit. Spotify. Do you smell with the artist cooking? Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, guys, Mark is a fantastic uh, customizer. He makes uh, card backs, boxes, figures, and sometimes clothing, if you could talk him into it, for your action figures. So if you want to get one, hit him up, Mark Brew, on Facebook. I've got a few in my collection of his. He's got a few of mine in his. One of my best buddies, guys. I can't say enough good things about this guy. Thank you for joining me, and I will see you next week on If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. Good night, everybody.